Hello and welcome to Founders Unplugged. I am your host, Greg McCallum, also known as the Pay As You Scale Commercial Advisor. Before we start, just wanted to let you know all these conversations are completely voluntary by the founders who are involved. So please give them some love. They're, they're very busy individuals and they're taking up to two hours out of their day to come and sit and chat with me about themselves, about their businesses and about all other kinds of stuff. Look in the uh, description uh, on whatever platform you're watching this and you will find links to them for their LinkedIn profiles and also the projects and the startups they're working on. So do go and check those out. And while you're at it, maybe give me a bit of love too. Um, I do this as something on the side to my main business. I run a company called ThinkWork. Um, and so if you're looking for any advice, I also do free uh, commercial advice um, for those for up to one hour. That job allows me to do this. Thank you so much. Uh, enjoy the episode. Please do um, show love and appreciation for them. And of course, for this episode, if you enjoy it, like it, subscribe, share. Without further ado, I've talked long enough. Enjoy the episode. Thank you. Bye-bye. Founders Unplugged, hosted by Greg McCallum. It was me. Ah, there we go. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, it keeps happening. I, I need to just detach another uh, microphone I have. It keeps connecting by Bluetooth, even though it's like turned off, but I don't know, it's weird. Yeah, I just remembered to switch mine on, so I wasn't sure if it was that. Oh, was very nice. One. But, yeah. How, how are you? You well? Yeah, good. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Um, yeah, in a much better position than I was last week because um, I couldn't record any of uh, these last week. So it's a good thing we didn't have it scheduled. I had to cancel them because I got bitten by a mosquito on the side of my face and my whole wow. face. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. So, Allergic reaction to it. Yeah. So not a good look for um, a podcast. <laughs> no. So did you have to take uh, like antihistamines? Yeah. 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 I had to do all of that. It went down pretty quick, and only like lasted about a week or so. But um... yeah, I went. I had. I went camping the weekend before last, and I got mm. this massive horsefly bite, and like my whole arm Ooh. swelled up. It was awful. It's all right now. Oh jeez. These are the the perils of the summer weather. <laughs> yeah, the perils of the great British countryside. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. But anyway, um, aside from allergic reactions, um, yeah. Tell tell me how how have you been? What have you been up to? Uh, what have I been up to? Gosh, well, enjoying the summer. Mm. So enjoying the summer weather in Brighton. I do love it. Um, mm. So yeah, just out oh, and yeah, about. Of course, you're only down the road, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I do, I do love this time of year. It's like my favourite thing. Um, and then we've been busy launching our conference, which is later this year. So that's mm. kind of taken up a lot of time. Uh, getting getting everything organised for that, and then a few new starters in the team as well. We've got a couple of interns, so. All right, so sorting so things out. Yeah, lots to discuss today. Then that's mm. cool. we'll, get, we'll get into that for sure. So, um, well, look, like like I mentioned to you before, that, that as you can tell, we've already started. And yeah, <laughs> I knew from when we had that Zoom call that we'd have loads to talk about. That yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so we'll just get straight into it. But I think it's always good to start with a bit of an introduction from from my guests. So, um, why don't we start with you saying, you know, who you are, obviously, and you know, uh, yeah. a bit about the business and what you do, just just to give everyone a bit of a taste of uh, what to expect. Yep, sure. Hi, I'm Mo Cantelau, the co-creator of Watch This Space, and we're a diversity and inclusion company. Um, and we are diversity and inclusion business transformers, helping people work better together. Um, and then I ha have a couple of other hats as well. So I'm also a non-exec director and a charity board trustee as well. And I speak at lots of conferences and write blogs too. And this is uh, this is watch this space, isn't it? This is watch this space. Yes, yes. So we are now just over three years old. So the business was founded during the pandemic. 
in the middle of lockdown in April 2020. So yeah, we're three years up, just over three years old now. Brilliant. Well, can you tell me a bit more about um, about what's this space? So, so you know, what what does it do exactly? So yeah. you know, obviously, it's it's helping businesses, I assume, um, become uh, more aware of the you know the, the diversity and inclusion challenges that that can occur in an organisation. So, how do you go about doing that? How do you help businesses? Yeah. So, what we do is we um, we have a process called inclusion journey mapping, which is actually that page that you were looking at. Mm. Um, then because what we realized when we founded the reason for it really is we realized that a lot of um employers a lot of workplaces want to do something about diversity and inclusion but they don't really know where to start so we have a process called inclusion journey mapping where we start by taking people through a process where we look at we do discovery workshops with the team which are quite interactive and people tell us what they think and they tell us about terms they don't understand and which acronyms they don't know which ones to use and we go through all that with them we do a survey so that people that don't come to a workshop can tell us what they think too. We look at policies, processes, we talk to partners. So we try and talk to clients and partners to understand what the reputation is of the organization we're working with as well. And we have a good look at their communications and kind of ask employees for lots of feedback as well. And then from that, that helps us map out the journey for that company. So we give them a score for each area and we tell them some think quick wins, things they can do quite quickly to show people that change is happening and show people particularly that have come to a workshop that, you know, the things that you said, look, this is what we're doing about it. Yeah. And then we work on the next stage, which are kind of six to 12 month goals and then longer term goals with them after that. And then we can be as engaged as people want us to be after that. So sometimes we carry on working with people and we project manage for them and help them kind of build a diversity inclusion working group and take things forward. Sometimes people already have those in place so then we help them. And then we do training and coaching with people in the teams um, as part of that ongoing work so that people are actually learning new ways of working, how to be more inclusive. Mm. So it's kind that's, of an ongoing process. That's really good because I mean, you're right. It's, it's one of those things where I think um, you, well, I'm assuming why you created this process is because a lot of businesses wouldn't even know where to start with with this. Um, I had a conversation uh, recently actually with Jeremy Horn, a data scientist and uh, director of Data Cove in- um, Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, did you know, do you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, we were talking about diversity from a slightly different perspective. We were talking more, well, maybe uh, because of, uh, I suppose it's quite a wide um, term, but we were talking about um, the reason why I love the idea of remote organizations, because um, you can actually, in a few organizations I've worked this with, we were able to accomplish this. Um, you can reach um, those that ordinarily may not have the opportunity to be able to work for a company like you know yours or whatever. And that to me is like a really nice form of diversity where you can actually bring people in from different socioeconomic backgrounds that maybe ordinarily couldn't afford the the you know the the train ride or the bus ride to yeah. get to that job or maybe couldn't afford a suit to get to a job you know traditionally and now it's kind of democratizing that a little bit with these sort of re remote working um arrangements which i i quite like but yeah and in a lot of cases though um the, these founders just wouldn't even know where to start looking yeah but to make that happen you know where do you even advertise where do you, you know what i mean so yeah um no, no sorry slight tangent there but yeah but, no um, it's, it's not actually a tangent though because that is part of it so it's new yeah. ways of working so actually remote working flexible working we've just finished the trial of the with university of sussex the four-day week so it's right. kind of new ideas around work that mm. help everyone feel included so it often this discussion comes up 
people mm. sometimes feel defensive about these things and like something's going to be taken away from them it's actually yeah. not it's about making work better for everyone and inclusive for everyone and remote working flexible working a combination of those things helps different types of people mm. to be able to work so actually it is around those things as well as what you might think first think about when you think about diversity and inclusion well, and i think that's really important to point out because i was going to ask you you know how would you define it and, and i think it would still be interesting to hear your definition of it but like you're right i think the perception quite often is just oh well we just need different colored faces in the room and that's what it means and it's a lot more than that right it's you know far more yeah. than that you have diversity of background diversity of of eq of iq of you know um uh, neurodiversity and you know uh, you know just having different ways of approaching problems and so on at least that's from my perspective but i may yeah. have tainted your response now <laughs> i should no, have maybe just asked you first but that's absolutely what we do yes the reason we have those discovery workshops when we work with people is because we ask people questions we ask them what would make work better for them right. we ask them about things that might have held them back we ask them about how it is in their teams how you know whether there's different opinions in the teams and things like that it's about all of those things it's about different types of personalities people behave differently in different settings and people work differently we look at how people work so how you communicate information the stat there key stat there is 75 percent of communication is misinterpreted so the person communicating it thinks that they're communicating exactly what's going to be received by the other person and actually it's not received that way because everyone processes information differently so we look at all of those things as well as what you might call the what people first think of so there's the protected characteristics under the equality act which are things like race gender um sexuality um you know whether you're a parent those kinds of characteristics disabilities mm. and, and those protected things that are protected by law but actually we look at a lot more than that so we look at ways of working different personalities new ideas for work because it's all about how to make work more inclusive for everyone so it's mm. quite broad ranging and I would say that we we would like to bring as many of those things into the discussions as we can to help people to think about those different things for sure. uh, do, do you ever you know um or have you ever encountered any situations where actually inclusivity or, or, or aiming to be diverse in, a, in an organization or a team has been problematic that it's resulted in act, actually some fairly negative results maybe on the the you know because of the the focus of it being on uh, the focus on on, di on the, the diverse range of individuals within the organization or a team has actually sort of in some ways diluted the the, the focus of you know on the business or the project at hand and it's kind of taken a, a bit of a back seat has that ever occurred? Um, so I would say, first of all, we we sometimes get some difficult conversations in the initial piece of work we do where mm. we engage people because people have a perception about what it's about and they think something's going to be taken away from them. So yeah, it can like be quite defensive. Yeah. So they can say, you know, we one of the sections of the work we do is we say, you know, what tell us about which acronyms and terms you find confusing. Right. You don't know what to say. And sometimes you get people with folded arms saying, well, you're not allowed to say anything anymore. And they right, get yeah. you know they can be difficult <laughs> about it and they can have a perception that it's going to take something away from them. we can get through that with the work that we do and then there's a with diversity and inclusion it is nice to have in that we want to live in a world where everyone feels included everybody can pursue the career they want to and people are not held back but there's also a really overwhelming business case for diversity and inclusion and that's what really helps propel the work and, and continue it and continue there being a focus on it because when you say to a tech founder there's 19 percent more innovation from diverse teams they want they want that they want that to happen mm. and a lot of, of the businesses you work with where they are growing 
So they might have got, you know, they might have got funding and they're growing the team quite quickly. They know that they have to include different types of people mm. to make that that innovation happen, those ideas happen, those different perspectives. And there's lots of good stories from businesses around where it's gone wrong, where people don't do that, especially mm. with tech businesses where yeah. the technology is developed without thinking about who it's going to be sold to, who's actually mm. going to use it. So actually, there's quite a strong business case. And it's not just around tech businesses and innovation as well. There's, you know, there's more productivity. People are happier in terms of recruitment. So um, loads of employers are struggling to recruit right now. Yeah. I think it's something like 80 percent of employers struggling to recruit. But a really high percentage of people looking for jobs are looking for employers who are focusing on diversity and inclusion. There's probably diversity and inclusion and sustainability and flexible and mm. remote working are the things that people are looking for when they look for an employer. So there's kind of quite burning business reasons to do this as well, mm. as well as it being a good thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, I was speaking to someone recently, actually, who, um, and this isn't the first time I've heard it, and I'm hearing it more and more now, which is someone who's, who's job searching. I do these these um, these sessions, usually with business owners, um, yeah. like pro, pro bono to, to, to offer commercial advice. But occasionally, I'll come across someone on Reddit or something that's just like, hey, you know, I'm in sales, I'm really struggling to find a job, can anyone help? And I'll just say, look, I've got 10 minutes, let me see what I can do, you know, yeah. let's look at your CV, whatever. And um, yeah, there's been a few cases where I'm hearing now of, you know, individuals who, you know, they're not they're, they're they're financially okay for a couple of months or whatever so they're being a bit more picky and and the, the first thing that comes out of the mouth is i want to find a, a job where you know i'm working for a product or a service that actually has some positive social impact mm. you know or or you know and and looks after their team and like you know they're just tired of the same crap like yeah. you know just working for a company that sells something that just 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 as interested in taking people's money and doesn't look after them and just you know it's expect them in the office nine till five and you know you know all that sort of stuff that people People are, you know, but yeah, becoming a lot more aware of the fact that they have the ball is kind of in their court a little bit. Yeah. And especially if they have a skill, that there is some value to that and to shop it around and find what works for them. And that's that's really empowering, I think, you know. Yeah, I but think actually the ball is in the court of, of candidates, right? For, yeah. for jobs is actually completely flipped, and that's where it is. I was at a conference last week, which is um, an aging well conference, and it was about older workers. And actually, you know, we, we need to have people involved in workplaces who are, you know, not just a focus on young people. We need to have a variety of ages. Mm. And actually, again, you know, if older workers are going to take roles, it has to be it has to work for them. So actually, yeah. it is about that. And actually, this thing, the the fact that people want to have a role with a purpose is really overwhelmingly what mm. people want to do. So they do want to work for an organization that is contributing to some, to a greater good, to making the world better in some way. Yeah. not just turning the wheels of you know making money for shareholders and you know that was my background as well I used to work in corporate where yeah. your whole um you know your whole week your whole month is about you know returning profits just turning the wheel but the thing is so they're yeah. very good and so are startups very good at making the mission statement sound like you're saving yeah <laughs> yeah so, so they're very good at that like you know every every ai company that's popped up in the last week which is about ten thousand, probably yeah um, it, it's all claiming that it's going to save the world so like you know it's very easy to get sucked into a lot of this rhetoric of just like you know you know this this is for social good when all it does is i don't know troll social media comments and filters them or something like you know it's like but um, but yeah, but it's a really interesting topic because you mentioned there just like about how, you know, there's, uh, you know, diversity is also in including of age. Right. And when we look at especially if we go back to the sort of subject of tech startups was kind of our our field of, of focus, I suppose, for, for the most part. Um, 
it is primarily younger people, right? It is generally sort of, you know, from, from sort of university uh, graduation age to sort of around 35 or, you know, something like that. That is generally the, the, the age range. Like, isn't it quite difficult, though, for, you know, for, for those that are outside of ordinarily being in those environments to, to integrate? in those situations because i've been in positions before where i've interviewed you know older candidates for jobs that i know are very demanding you know time-wise very demanding from a tech you know knowledge perspective and you just know that you've got all these other candidates that will just hit the ground running and you know this person may struggle like it's it's kind of a no-brainer is that the wrong way of looking at it should we should i you know should as a hiring manager i be looking at that situation differently Yes, you definitely should, because also in the things that you've just said there, there's a lot of assumptions made about the person you're interviewing. Who well, not really, it. because of, because we do we do we do competency tests during. The yeah, interview. but a lot there are older people who um, very much understand technology and sort of assuming yeah. that they don't is making an assumption about that. But it also might be that they bring something different to the team that yeah. is really needed. So the couple of stories that are often used about why you need to include different perspectives is one really good one, which is Apple and the first iteration of their iPhone. You might have heard that story where um, it was, you know, whenever they first launched the first iPhone, it must have gone through teams and teams and teams of people to mm. bring it to market. Lots, lots of people must have been involved. Yeah, when they the first design of the phone, when it was released, it was too big for women's hands. And so they'd forgotten about 50% of the market that they wanted to sell this phone to. Just like nobody had thought, have we actually like tried this out or tested it out? Yeah. So it was a huge mistake that's often used as an example of why you absolutely have to include the right people and different perspectives. They yeah. then very quickly came out with smaller designs of that phone. And, you know, as the years have gone on, our use of phones has changed and actually people are happier with bigger mm. phones now anyway. But at the time, it was a huge glaring example of why you need to do that. And then mm. there are also business decisions that are made and kind of societal decisions that are made that you can see the, the different perspectives were not sought, different people weren't included. So if you look at the, during the pandemic, the decisions that were made in the uh, sort of during 2020 around lockdown and childcare and working and child and like no thought to childcare, you mm. can just see it's like glaring at you. Oh, I think they might have forgotten to include some perspectives in the decisions yeah, yeah. that were made. So there are loads of reasons why it's important to do that because if you don't do that, you're missing out on all of these perspectives that are mm. important to the business. And actually, I think the businesses that will survive are the ones that get that and do include different people and different perspectives so there's a um there's a really good book if you haven't read it i really recommend it it's called rebel ideas mm. and it's by a writer called matthew syed and he says in it basically the theory is that teams of rebels beat teams of clones and i think you'll have well i certainly have been to many a company where you've got a team of clones essentially yeah. because yeah. somebody somebody has thought of a technology yeah, they've come up with an idea, they've employed their friends and people that they know and friends of friends. And before mm. you know it, you've got this team, this company where everyone's pretty similar and coming from mm. a similar perspective. And then you wonder why there are not enough new ideas or you're struggling to sell to a particular market, yeah. struggling to appeal to a demographic. Well, it's, it's kind of obvious that to do that, you need to include different types of people. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, look, so just just for context, I, I'm a master at playing devil's advocate. So, yeah. a, a, <laughs> so a lot of the questions I ask it for that purpose only, really, to get us sort of thinking about different things. Because, mm -hmm. of the, you know, I, I, I'm in absolute agreement. For, and I'm pretty sure I've read that book a long time ago, actually. I'd have to double check and look it up after the fact. But um, 
but like you know yes you're right i mean especially with a lot of the work that i do you, you see that time and time again and one of the yeah the first things i'll talk about is right we need to get some fresh blood in here we need to get some new perspectives on things or sometimes you know they, they might actually a lot of these organizations will have maybe the more diverse thinkers on on the outskirts of the decision making yeah. process and it's the case of okay you need to make uh, really your environment more inclusive in order to allow for these these individuals to partake in that sort of discussion and in, in the ideation sort of process yeah. and have, have a bit of input because sometimes some of the best ideas are out on the fringes people you know especially those that are very much sort of you know um uh, customer facing or out in the coal mines you know as i as i call it um you know those are the ones that usually sort of um not listen to the most but have sometimes the most important feedback and ideas to give but yeah. i suppose playing devil's advocate though there, there are there are definitely situations i've come across as well where diversity just hasn't been needed right and what i mean by that is like there's been a few a few situations where i've gone to businesses i won't say any specifics because mm -hmm. i might i might give away um the clients that i've worked with but where there's been teams where the job is very monotonous it requires no input from from the individuals in the team they're just required to show up do the job and go home and you don't really need any diversity of thought or or anything there. You just, you know, as a business, it functions on, on you know, it succeeds by these individuals coming in and executing their job and going home. That's it, right? Um, and in those situations, I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are. Like, is it again? Is there is there something maybe being missed there, or or it, you know, does it just not apply to every single business? Are there are there exceptions to that? Yeah, so I would say, uh, what if somebody different joined one of those teams though and said, you know how we're doing this this way? Well, what if we did this and it, we can now do it in half the time? We'll have this much impact. So, you, you know, you right. for new thinking and new ideas, I would say there's always a reason to think about who you're missing and who you're not including. Mm. And I say this, so I used to work in sales, in tech sales in corporate for many years. Yeah. And the amount of times, I mean, all salespeople will have a story about this. You, you're selling something and you can see that there hasn't been any market information sort. Nobody has who spent the years and months designing has thought, should we just ask some people if this is what they want or if yeah. this is how they want it? You know, when you work with UX designers, you're like, has anybody actually tried <laughs> this out yeah. and got somebody to try using it? And you're out there and you go, but it's blindingly obvious. We like haven't asked key hmm. people what they think, whether they would even buy this, whether they would part with any money for this or whether they would use it like this or whether, how they do these things. Hmm. So it, you can just see it, it kind of harks all back to that as well, like doing your research around different perspectives and what people want. And there's so much tech that I've worked with, having been the salesperson where, you know, you're going somewhere to demo. I mean, there's times where I've had to fly to America and like the demos the next morning, the night before people are working in England, trying to get it to work for you. And mm. then you show it and they're like, oh, yeah, but what if it did it like that? <laughs> like, yeah, no, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. But so, so from your perspective then, would you say that everyone's opinion in the workplace is valid or is there, is there a point in which um, it either has to be in some way earned or, um, or, 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 you know, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, because of the, you know, you have individuals in a business who may be brought in, they have 10 plus years of experience in something, let's say UI, right? For example, to, to follow that thread. Um, and they come in and that their opinions on it are, you know, from, from the perspective of leadership, you know, 10 years experience, 15 years experience, this person knows what they're talking about. And then you get someone fresh faced from university coming in, who's never seen it a day in their life, but they, they start piping up and giving their opinion. Are those opinions equally valid from your perspective? That's an interesting one. So I love that when that happens, but I know a lot of people find that difficult. And mm. I guess there has to be some 
kind of boundaries around it. So if you're bringing somebody in for new ideas and new perspectives, then not listen to them is a waste of time. Yeah. So I think it's just about thinking where their ideas and opinions can be sought. So what you don't want is someone just coming up with new ideas and not doing the actual role they're employed for. So I think mm. it's about how you enable creative thinking and new ideas in particular settings, in particular ways. And also with an understanding that there are some people, the leaders that need to make decisions and move things forward. And there are, you know, there are new ideas around leadership too and how you can empower people differently. So there's a, and there are ways of working which are very collaborative where you don't have hierarchies and you say to people, this is the overall mission and goal. This is your area that you're working on, you know, whether it, whatever area of responsibility it is you get on and do that however you see fit and you don't have to keep going back to a decision maker mm -hmm. that is one way I think but I'd say most uh, you know most companies most organizations are a long way from that and they yeah. still want some core people making decisions the interesting thing about experience and perspective so if you want to make um, creative ideas and you want decisions on things my theory is that meetings are the worst place to do that because meetings suit one type of person really or a couple of types of people and actually the people that think differently and have the best ideas are probably never going to say them in that setting. Right. So you have to kind of enable different ways of doing that. And actually leaders, it's kind of proven that if leaders speak first, they influence the opinions of everyone else. Mm. So actually really powerful leadership technique is to not be the person that speaks up with your thoughts and opinions. Mm. Let other people talk and come up with their ideas in different ways first and speak last. <clean> but it takes a lot of discipline like to do that. leading from the rear basically isn't it i always remember the that very famous meme that went around a few years ago of like a wolf pack and the leader always being at the back of the pack you know it's like that's, yeah that's what i think of in that sort of scenario yeah yeah so not not trying to impose your opinions on other people letting them have their own opinions and create their new ideas essentially creating more leaders mm. in your in your teams as you go along yeah. So, I mean, yeah, my takeaway from that is that it's 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 not there's no simple answer to it, to my question, really, because it is it's very nuanced, isn't it? Like you have to you have to balance a lot of things. So, you know, like you said, if that individual's just come in and it's their first week and they start piping up all these different ideas and they've not actually, you know, fully been onboarded and done any of their job, you might need to be like, look, we really yeah. appreciate it. But like, can you can you just let us, you know, <laughs> um, so I suppose it really just comes down to leadership style. So are there elements of, of that that you've included in your sort of your, your road? mapping when you're working with with companies to identify that maybe there are some weaknesses or not necessarily weaknesses but some improvements that could be done in order to manage effectively all of the changes that are coming in is that quite a big piece yeah that's quite a big piece so managing change generally is a big piece and then mm. working with leaders specifically so in on techniques that they can use to include more people as a separate group mm. anybody that's managing people as well as wider training for the whole team so we always try and include an element of training for the whole team and we always say that you can't you can't put you know 400 people through a one hour training course each and go tick that's done yeah that's it <laughs> yeah because they need well, it's according more to than corporates that. you can <laughs> yeah it actually needs much more than that ongoing Absolutely. learning um yeah. you know discussion people seeing things happen you know much more than that than that mm. just a one hour course and they're done and actually increasingly we used to get a lot of inquiries that were just for one off can you do a one hour training course which we did do to start with and actually we don't get very many of those now. Actually, people want something more involved. They want to kind That's of work right. on different elements. Yeah. And do you, do you help with sort of formulating their their, their, their the sort of in-house policies and, and and things like that, and and actually having a meaningful impact on you know even some of their 
their written documentation and so on as well or is it more of a you know just sort of uh that that is, is more coaching and you kind of let them continue no, we, so we do that as well so that's often very, one of the very end-to-end -end yeah one of the outputs of the the inclusion journey mapping will often be well actually you're missing some policies and processes right. around this and we have a person in our team who's from an hr background who can then help with actually that sort of tangible quite you know yeah. action focused planning around policies that need to be put in place i mean it's brilliant what you're doing because again like you said it's very end-to-end -end. and and what what i what i like about it as well is that you know like you pointed out i think there was uh when when this started to bubble up as, as, as individuals realizing the importance of it really what was happening is it was just these one hour workshops that were popping up and, and that was the focus of it and like you said it doesn't really have the impact that it needs to have so it's really great to see that you're having this 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 very um this very probing discovery process this this very clear communication of the mapping and then this very actionable stuff that's happening it's really really great to see what would what would you say is sort of the most common um uh sort of pushbacks that you get from people obviously you said what the, the one was kind of like just people misunderstanding what diversity really is or inclusion really is but do you, do you have any other sort of common pushbacks or misconceptions that pop up along along the way yeah, so as you said, the first one is often that, but usually that comes out early on in the discovery phase right. that we can then um, sort of, yeah, we can reassure people and show them what we're going to be doing. The other thing that comes up is where um, they haven't allocated enough time, enough budget, because uh, because the thing is, that this kind of work can't be delivered by, you know, one person in the people team. It needs engagement across all teams. It needs buy-in from the leadership. You know, there has to be, you know, an overall buy-in to doing this. And if there isn't that, then it doesn't happen. It fails. So we now that's part of our process mm. in engaging with with a company is to make sure that, you know, the CEO, the founder are really, really, really want to do this because yeah. otherwise it won't happen, as well as there being lots of people um, involved too and setting aside time for it. So if you say to somebody who's already in quite a busy role, but they're really passionate about this, they want to be involved and they want to do something about it, but then nothing, they're not going to be given any time to do this. Mm. You're setting them up to fail. So that's the other pushback we have is, oh, we haven't got time, we haven't got budget. You know, when on earth are they going to do this? They've got to do this. So that's the other thing we say to people. We say, you know, doing something like this, if you're going to embark on the inclusion journey mapping, then make sure you're prioritizing it and people have mm. time to do it. And it's part of what you do because it's also an ongoing process and actually to deliver results to actually see tangible change you've got to invest like time and people in it to make mm. it happen yeah that, yeah that time time problem is is a problem for for any service provider to a b2b service provider right yeah, but as i imagine especially more so with this because it, it involves everyone in the company you know whereas ordinarily it's like you might just be trying to sell to a to uh to, to to a specific team member or a specific team you just require some of their time but actually coordinating a whole company i mean that's that's complex isn't it yeah and at the moment the output that we we give people the kind of report we give it is a live document but it's like a google shared document and okay. actually what what we want to do with it is to make that into more of a technology in our own platform that's what we're, we're working at the oh, moment so actually people would log in and it would take them to the learning pathways for the training also show them their progress so people can really see and the mm. other interesting thing we're, we're just talking about at the moment actually is give people some levels so say like you've gone through the inclusion journey mapping that takes you to this level and then you can go to it because the other thing we found is we work with people in companies in quite different sectors but one of the key things is people always want to know how they compare to other people we work with right. always get asked that all the time you know how do we yeah, compare yeah. with other people and we're like well you know comparing you to this 
companies, you're completely different. Oh, but still, how do we compare? <laughs> yeah. like, right, actually, so if we give people some levels, that will help, I think. People can yeah. feel like... Sort of like some form of gamification. Yeah, so they feel yeah. like they're progressing, yeah. Mm. yeah. I've been talking a lot about gamification recently in these... Um these episodes uh, in this series actually mm. because it's becoming more and more of a focus for for yeah how to keep people engaged with software and i think that's a great idea especially when it comes to trying to strive for a result in something right yes that's, it's a it's a really clear visual way of representing that and and it's quite rewarding i mean it taps into yeah. to our brain in a way which you know it's obvious this is why games are addictive and everything else but it's um yeah it's a good way of doing things but are you, are you going to allow people to compare to other other people in other organizations though uh not so not that they can look at someone else's score okay. and compare yeah. to their own but just so they can move up levels <laughs> we, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah i was gonna we say like... that might be that would be interesting you get a you know competitive uh, situation no. <laughs> business to business like you know yeah no one in our company speaks english we're that diverse we're, no one <laughs> speaks one of the same language like you know <laughs> people going to the extremes to try and win the competition and stuff yeah, but we like the idea of like the B Corp platform. Have you looked at that where, yeah. you know, you go through a process and actually we, we often talk to companies who are going through B Corp because there's some sections there around diversity and inclusion. We're mm. working on, on it ourselves to become B Corp certified as well. Because actually mm. there's, there, there is a bit of a regulatory element to it as well because you have to report on gender pay gap reporting if you're up to 250 employees. So actually mm. companies that are at, you know, 150 start to track it. And there is discussions about having more pay gap reporting coming in right. and that's all that's all built into some of the b corp um work as well so there is an element of kind of regulatory certification about it as well so it kind of encompasses quite a lot of things and i imagine that's that's only just going to um increase over the next few years well over the coming years right in in that sense that regulatory um decisions are going to be made where businesses are probably going to be required to provide more and more insight into the piece of diversity and inclusion of their businesses right so it makes sense to to be somewhat prepared for that and and to have uh, the ability to 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 report on it effectively or with a tool like that that's really useful i think so where are you guys with that at the moment is it still a bit far away or you know is it fairly close to being finalized so on the technology development mm. so we're working on um a proposal we're, we're talking to a company actually that have given us a, a good we sort of went out to a few different places. Right. So we're kind of progressing with it in terms of time scale. It's difficult to say the time scales right. when it will be. I would say it's probably going to be, you know, next year onwards that we would do that. But start mm. to have we may be able to start to have elements of it by the end of this calendar year. Yeah. Awesome. So so what kind of data do you provide insight on exactly? Just like so currently it's it's a live sort of spreadsheets um situation. So so what kind of indicators can you see there? So we'll look at, um, you know, people demographics. We give mm. people data on that. We'll look at engagement. So how many people have applied to surveys? They often have their own way of surveying employees as well. So we'll look at that as well and look, give them something on engagement. Mm. We look at different areas. So we have people, culture, communication, you know, processes. We look at ways of working. Um, you know, we, so we look at all these different areas and, and have some measurements in place for all of them. And mm. then we help people with coming up with goals around those different things as well. Oh, brilliant. So they actually set targets around those different things because that's, mm. again, how you drive change. And I was doing a training course on this last week. If you set a goal with a timeline, you're 40% more likely to achieve it. And if you tell someone about it, that adds on another 10%. Mm. There's that thing of like actually deciding what you're going to measure and what you're going to change by particular dates 
will help people drive forwards to well, I, I must be a huge outlier for that statistic then <laughs> really <laughs> yeah it seems like that every time i set myself a goal for something i, I inevitably do it later <laughs> but i suppose at least i do it so maybe it's yeah it's I more about completion yeah i wonder if i set myself too many i think that's the problem yeah and i wonder if there's something in there that actually you do achieve it but later because you've set the goal i don't know there might be something yeah. in, in perhaps because we just finished the university of sussex four-day week trial as part of mm. that they track your productivity so you have to set yourself five goals at the beginning of the week and then say whether you've achieved them at the end of the week right. and i i was a bit skeptical about it as well i was like oh i don't know about this and I found myself as we went through the trial going, okay, no, I am going to set five things this week. I've got six things. Something's going to have to go. Like, what are the five things? Because I'm quite like, I'm quite competitive. I like the gamification thing. So I want to be able to say at the end of the week, yes, I've done those five things. So it's yeah, quite yeah. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad it worked. That's cool. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned at the beginning about a conference you're organizing. So, yeah. so what's this conference about? So last year we said, should we do a conference? And we did, I think we said, I think we said it in about June or July, my business did you, partner's Did you idea. say there was a timeline for it? Uh, we did, because okay. it's National Inclusion Week at the end of September. So we oh, said, right. let's, do, let's do it for National Inclusion Week. And, and we did it and we made it happen. So it's, it was an online conference where we had um, people bought a ticket. They could access the talks over the whole of that week to listen to it at a the time they wanted. And I think we had... 13 speakers last week on a range, last year on a range of subjects so things like anti-racism um age uh, you know age discrimination and the importance of having older workers we had um neurodiversity you know a whole range of different subjects last year and we also um alongside it ran awards which were reimagination at work awards which you nominate somebody that you feel is doing great things around diversity and inclusion at work or you can mm. nominate yourself um, so that was last year's and it was really successful, um, kind of behind the scenes, it was chaos, but to everybody else, it, it, it was all great and it, yeah. we got loads of great feedback from it. So yeah, we're running that again this year. So we've just announced it. So it's in at the end of September for National Inclusion Week again, great range of speakers on some really, really interesting subjects. So we've got uh, somebody from NHS employers talking about you know large organisations. We've got um, the founder of Bird and Blend Tea talking about creative and inclusive workforce, you know, across the country. We've got someone talking about anti-racism and including travellers, which is a subject that's not talked about that much. We've mm. got um, somebody on the four-day week, flexible work. You know, we've got a whole. I think we've got about fifteen speakers this year um, who are all announced now. So um, they're all um, their talks are all advertised, and they're busy working on their talks at the moment. And then we've also launched the awards, so people can nominate from now on. It's free to enter. And then we'll um, announce the award winners in September as well. So, yeah, that's that's this week, just kind of this week, last week, we've really made the big announcements about it. So, yeah. That's awesome. It sounds really good. And, and, and what is it? It's ticketed, you said. So how much are tickets? So tickets are on the early bird price at the moment. So it's just £20 until the end oh, of next week. So it's not that much okay. money to, to buy a ticket. And they'll, they'll go up as we go through the so summer. But, by yeah. the time this comes out, early bird would have stopped, I think. Yeah. Because this will come out next is it next Friday? Yeah, next Friday. This one. Yeah, so, when the early bird stops. So then it will go up yeah. to thirty pounds after that. But it's okay. for, to access all those speakers, it's not that much money. Um, and mm. we've already had lots of ticket sales already. Fantastic. Yeah. They mm. sound pretty cool. I might, uh, I might, I might attend. Yeah, if I can. Yeah, it sounds really good. Um, and if so, you attend, you then join our community, so you get to join the network, and there'll be there's like a you can ask the speakers questions and things like that. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Mm. 
Yeah, no, that's it's really good. I mean, look, it's one of these uh, th th these these topics of conversation that comes up time and time again with my clients, and you know, I always defer to to other people because if I don't claim to be an expert on it, I you know, I've obviously you know worked in a lot of companies and had you know had my hand in, in assisting with, uh, with you know, I, well, look, I, I always say I'm the diversity hire because of because <laughs> I don't have any British blood in me. My mum's uh, Al French Algerian, my dad's. Uh, my, uh, Irish and I'm Jewish, so I just say, "Hey, you, you know, that's about my that's about my input that I give." <laughs> so I don't, I may not look like the diversity hire, but I promise you, I am. Um, but uh, no, I, I, in a more serious tone, I, I have, you know, obviously helped a little bit, but I don't claim to be an expert by any means on the subject. So it's always good to divert to to other industry experts or subject matter experts, such as yourselves, and yeah, maybe other people in in that network. So it'd be good good to have um, have you guys there. So tell me though a bit about your story. So so how did um, watch this space? Come about so you said um it started when was it uh 2020 you said? yeah so it came about in 2020 what was the lead up to that how did it all come about okay you, yeah you, you've done, it seemed to have done a lot in your in your career you know you said mentioned that you worked in sales and this that and the other so so talk us through that if you if you may yes so i um i studied english literature which you wouldn't think would lead what? to a, a career in tech at all no. but i studied english literature finished my degree and thought hmm, what am i going to do now i need to earn some money don't i so i started working in marketing in tech companies right. um and then very quickly got into sales realized i actually preferred sales i like going mm. out and about and talking to people and a lot of that really happened by accident but i realized that actually to sell and market technology what you need to do is be able to understand complex technology and explain it clearly to people. Hmm. So I found actually I did well in that. So that's, that's what I did. Um, sales, I've always said this, a great salesperson is an expert communicator, not just in the sense of having the gift of the gap, which a lot of people assume that's what they mean, but like written communication is way higher priority than people realize and the ability to communicate in different ways to different people. Yeah. So it makes sense, yeah. yeah yeah lots of listening required as well for yes. you need to listen and understand Active listening real yeah. listening <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah make sure you understand the tech but know when to call in an expert but also be able to listen to what the, the client is actually what they actually need mm. and communicate with them so i f found my niche really doing that so i worked first of all for a tech company more locally um who have now grown actually they were quite a small company at the time i worked for them I was there for eight years. They're a company in security access control. So right. I learned all about that and I traveled, you know, traveled all different countries. It was great fun. Mm. After about eight years, thought if I don't go somewhere else now, I'll never work anywhere else. This will be it. Right. So I then moved and went to a big corporate and um, again, worked in sort of electronic security. And that was a much bigger company, big travel budgets. That was great fun. I used to like fly business class everywhere. Wow. God, it was great. <laughs> you know, the thing where you get to the airport and they have the board held up yeah, all day, yeah. all of that. Loved all of that until I got fed up with all the traveling, really. It was, it was yeah. quite a lot. So then I joined another tech company who were really technology focused, very physics based. Lots of people with PhDs in physics in that company. They, um, so if you watch any of the space missions, the images that you see, they make the sensors that capture the images in space. Wow. They make um, in a radiotherapy machine, the thing that zaps the tumor to help mm. cure your cancer. They make that, so they're like quite complicated technology. Mm. So I joined that company. When I joined that company, um, they actually said to me, we've never we've never had a woman in this role before in the sales team, which I don't know if they really should have been saying that. Anyway, that's what was said to me. So I joined a team of mostly, not all, but you know, they, they were all men, some of them older than me. 
and it was quite a harsh environment and I had lots of bad experiences actually all the way through I did um, in my earlier career probably more with clients who would say you know where's the man that we need to speak to and you know quite a lot of things like that when I joined that company it was that it was more within the company it was quite harsh and mm. I learned a lot about uh, myself actually doing that because I'm the sort of person if someone like that guy that said to me we've never had a woman in this role before I was determined to prove to him why I was the right person for the role right that's right. what I'm like so that's kind of what's always driven me so then I in that company did do really well I ended up uh, like closing the biggest deal in their history and it made the news and I was like started, ended up running the team so I had a senior role I was um, global vice president of sales and marketing in a FTSE 250 company, traveling lots, had a big team. Um, I there did a quite a lot of work on diversity and inclusion and how to bring different people into the organization. Learned there that you can people can join the company, but if they have a bad experience, they'll leave really quickly. So you've got mm. to make sure it's across the organization. Um, and I did that for quite a long time and loved it. I was there for a long time until I reached a point where the company I worked for got taken over a big American corporation and the head office was now in America and I was like oh no I'm out now so I then joined um software company in Brighton and I thought it would be really different in Brighton I thought it'd be great in Brighton you know there'll be people loads of people be treated really well and actually that's not the case and right. um, hopefully it's changing now but actually a lot of people have bad experiences in tech companies in Brighton and a lot of the software companies I luckily joined a fantastic one it was really good the company I worked for I loved it that is surprising considering yeah Brighton right you no. would expect it to be different <laughs> yeah yeah and it's not so uh, anyway so with that I had time now because I wasn't commuting or traveling and I thought that time could easily just get you know eaten up with doing nothing mm. actually I'm going to do something with the time so I joined a group um I found out about this group called Brighton Digital Women mm -hmm. yeah. and I thought I'll start going to some of their meetups um and that I'd actually met one of the people that ran that group because we'd both been asked to speak on a panel event at a charity and that person's now my business partner so they were running Brighton Digital Women I joined the team of Brighton Digital Women in sort of end of 2019 and said let's yes let's uh, carry on organizing these brilliant events then we went into lockdown and pandemic um just after that and so that really was when watch this space was founded because we'd all had these experiences and and we all knew these things that, that women had experienced at work through brighton digital women and the idea for watch this space they'd actually had before but had just not done anything about it and it was in the pandemic that we said we've got some time on our hands it's not just about women in tech it's like diversity and inclusion it's a much bigger conversation mm. shall we do something about it and to start with when we could only leave the house for like an hour a day we were just on loads of zoom calls together and we like launched a website launched social media just kind of like started from there and it's just really grown from there and it was also 2020 so we did this in april the summer of 2020 was when there was all of the black lives matter protests around the world and it became a really big conversation so actually we were it was the right moment for us to be launching this and people were then looking for solutions and we quickly honed in on the fact that for a lot of companies they wanted to do something that summer of 2020 they wanted to do something but they didn't know what to do mm. they were almost like paralyzed like we don't know what to do so that's yeah. where we came in and helped them yeah wow what a journey um, yeah yeah and, and so uh, many other things have happened since so then in 2021 we saw this competition advertised the simply business business boost competition where you win 25,000 pounds we were like we should enter that and then we didn't do anything about it until like the night before me and my business partner like we both entered the night before and didn't say anything to each other 
And then we got a phone call from them saying, oh, you know, you're, you're on the shortlist. What? And then we ended up winning it. So oh, we wow. beat like, I think we beat 20,000 businesses and won this award. So that really wow, was a moment, amazing. defining moment where we were like, okay, now we have to quit all the other work we're doing and just go all, all in on this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow, incredible. Um, yeah, so one how the journey then in such a short space of time, and uh, yeah, what what's the what are the the goals? Like, have you got some 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 big plans? I mean, obviously you've got the conference coming up, but I mean beyond that and the, the sort of the, the software element of things, like what yeah. what's on the horizon? What 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 are the the, the dream goals to be achieved? Yeah. In so we've now got two employees as well, which was quite a big step for us because taking mm. on other people is a big thing to do, as well as free, a team of freelancers as well. So that's helping free up our time to think about the future and other things we want to do. So, yes, we do want to develop some technology because we're both from a tech background. So like we understand that and we're selling to tech businesses and we understand that it would be a much more compelling sale if we can do that. Speak the same language, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So that's something we definitely want to do. Um, mm. And then continue to expand around the country because we're starting to get clients now nationally and in different parts of the country. So start to do that more expanding from our Sussex base is definitely mm. one of our plans as well. We'd like to have, you know, more people because we have got people that, um, that are freelancers for us that are not based in you know in our local area and actually one of our employees isn't either because we are we practice what we preach so we don't insist that people come into an office for a certain hours well i was going to ask i was going to ask you that how how do you ensure that you're practicing what you preach because that's that's usually one of the number one downfalls for most businesses who specialize in anything right you know whether it's you know usually especially service-led businesses where usually nine times out of ten they're not the ones implementing their own <laughs> advice so yeah how how are you ensuring that you're able to do that simultaneously along with yeah so we um yeah so we are remote first uh flexible working we don't have set hours it's about the the goals that you achieve uh, my business partner, for example, has two young children, so she'll work the hours that fit suits her around them. We've just finished the four-day week trial, so we're trying to stick now with the four-day week. I say trying because I'm the worst one for like still doing things on the fifth day. Yeah. Trying not to. Um, and we say, yeah, to anyone that works for us that they can work from anywhere. So one of our employees, she sometimes travels abroad and works from there. Mm -hmm. And then it's just it's about the output and what you do. And then we also we recruited one of the people who's our community lead, Megan, earlier this year. And um, we, you know, created a job, you know, job spec in the way we would advise clients and advertise it in the way we'd advise clients and all of mm. that. And then we had something like, I think it was like 120 applications within 24 hours and LinkedIn wow. clo closed down the job ad. And we were like, okay, phew, at least we're doing <laughs> like the right things here. And yeah. we ended up with somebody absolutely fabulous who did brilliantly. And so it was it was a good validation of like what we preach does actually work. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, I actually do a full day work week technically. I um I, I kind of did this unintentionally, I guess, but um every Thursday I reserve Thursdays for um what I call a creative day. So the idea initially was um, well, you know, first of all, I'm my own boss. I should be able to do that if I want, right? So I obviously pack my other days very much to the rafters in order to get, you know, the, the level of productivity I need. And, you know, I'll maybe occasionally work late in an evening or whatever, you know, but just to make sure I have that day. But the idea of that creative day initially was um, to get back into painting and, and other things that I like to do creatively. That was initially it. But I also sort of didn't want to restrict myself. I said, but it could also be video editing. Right. It could also be, you know, uh, creating some uh, some posts ready for social media as long as it's creative. So, you know, the creative writing, whatever it might be, you know, because I also like to write and do other things. So too many hobbies, basically. And, and but but also some things can relate to work. I wasn't going to sort of hate myself for that. Um, but more and more now I'm actually taking it for me time. 
the majority of that day and just you know so like um you know going to the gym or you know going to get a massage you know uh, that's usually long overdue by the time i have one um, you know things like that so so i have accidentally fallen into a four-day work week and it kind of and it works well it does mean that i work very hard and fast on the other days but it enables me to have that little break and and it's really good. There have been an odd occasion where I've just had to work through it, but very rare. So it works well for me. How, how are you, aside from the struggle there, I mean, are you generally finding it to be to be good, to be productive? Yeah, I am massively so. So I also am a charity board trustee. So right. I like you, like if on that day I do something for the charity, I don't, I think that's fine. Like as long as I'm yeah. doing things that I have decided to do, I also, I'm like, I was nodding away when you were saying all those hobbies, I'm the same. I right. like writing, I like, you know, I have all these different, I'm always saying yes to different things. Yeah. So what I do now is I don't beat myself up if in the morning of that day, I have a look at my emails just because right. that just makes me feel better then about just like relaxing for the rest of the day. But yeah, I try and do something with the rest of the day, going out somewhere, you know, meeting up with somebody, doing something with my the charity that I'm involved with, you know, perhaps writing something. Um, the other day, actually, I just went out and wrote, which I don't often, I don't always do. So um, for my birthday, actually, my business partner bought me one of those rocket books where you could write and it transcribes it electronically. Oh, okay. Because actually, I'm not that great at doing handwriting stuff. I always have to type, and then you've got to have a laptop and everything with you. Yeah. And actually, with that, it's brilliant because you can take that with you somewhere and you can just write. So, yeah, mm. I try and do something um, different with that day. And I do think it really helps to yeah. do that. I think it makes you feel differently about the rest of the week. I think you feel more relaxed and, you know, yeah. 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 I think it's uh, for, for me, especially being a Thursday, it's a nice ease into Friday, which tends to be a more sort of admin related day a lot of rounding off you know the week with clients and sort of a lot more analytical in the way that I work compared to the other days which is a lot more hands-on and sort of you know getting stuck in with things doing you know rec podcast recordings a lot of meetings a lot of you know that kind of thing so it's, it's almost a nice way of switching gears you know having that that time to to you know yeah to sort of reset and then get ready to switch gears um yeah yeah what are you working on right wise where you write what, you know you're writing anything is there so, many, so many things okay oh, i'll really? tell you about it so first of all i, I write blogs for watch this space so some yeah. of the blogs are written by all of us actually we all have different ideas okay. some of it's that um allegra and i would like to write a book so we're working on a book around our ideas about work so around yeah. the work we do at watch the space we've been thinking about that idea for a while and have got got a few ideas we just need to really spend some time on it because i think actually i think it would help a lot with the business as well if we actually mm deliver books that's one idea I'm also writing a novel because you know why not write several different things mm -hmm. so with the novel I started writing it in the pandemic actually and um it's now at about 50,000 words oh, so right. I probably need double that really so it's still a long way to go hey look that's 50,000 more than my novel is so <laughs> <laughs> well <done. laughs> yeah it's hard work um but I need to keep going because actually a lot of it is just getting the words down and then I can edit afterward it's about getting the draft of the story exactly you know yeah. actually written down and i really that's, enjoy it when i do it that's what i learned i i studied creative writing um uh at college and uh, i studied a lot of i was one of these people that just was like give me every course you can i love I, in fact this is the longest time of my life the last couple of years where i've not been studying something um and uh yeah that was one really important lesson i learned there which is when you have an idea get it out as quickly as possible um onto paper it doesn't matter how good or bad it is as long as it's out you can then start iterating and messing around with it but you need that first version 
and that's actually the bit that I'm struggling with at the moment with my <laughs> my, my idea because it's just it, it, there's I, I don't really know how to describe it but it's just uh I guess I'm, I'm overthinking even that first draft. I need to get back in that mindset of just like, it doesn't really matter. Just get it out. So I know in principle how I should do it, but I'm not following through. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, so there's so, two yeah. things that help me with the novel. One yeah. is I joined, there's a writing school where they have this, um, I'll give them a shout out, Writers HQ, and they right. have this course called Plot Stormers, okay. where it helps you with the structure of a plot. And that's where I got, that's how I've got a plot, which I didn't have oh, before. Okay. I just had loads of ideas. And they have loads of courses. They have like, once you're free that, they have Plot Stormers 2, the edit writers back. You know, they're, re they're really good. Also, what's uh, it called? I'm going to look it up. Writers, writers HQ. And you can join um, their community for free. And then there's paid. Some writers of the courses HQ. are free as well. Yeah, they're really good. Um, yeah, so that, awesome. that actually is why, where I got to as far as I've got to, because mm. I didn't even, I had ideas and this helped me get actually get a plot. But the other thing that's really helped me is writing flash fiction. So right. short pieces that are actually mm. scenes from the novel. Okay. That just just the idea, because the novel is such a big thing that sometimes just yeah. writing a few hundred words actually feels a lot easier to just write one scene that's been in your head for a while. You make it into a short story, like a really Such short piece of fiction. Such great advice, because I have so many of these little scenes, and I just think, no, there's no point sitting down and writing it if you haven't done any of the lead-up to it. But actually, no, it makes complete sense. Yeah, write Get that, and you can come back to that come later. Back to later. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's really, that's really helped me, because that yeah. sometimes you just get stuck, and you're yeah. just like, I kind of know what that bit is, but not the rest of it. And actually, just writing that little bit helps. Mm. And then somebody else gave me some advice on that as well, which is to put your characters into scenes that may not end up in the novel, but just sort of play to play around with their characters a bit as okay. well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So a bit of that as well. I think yeah. it's, a, it's about kind of playing around with it and being yeah. creative. Yeah. I think, yeah, you're right. Because a lot of people have that misconception that it's like someone's come up with an idea and they write it from the beginning to the end. And that's not how a story gets written more often than not. It is sometimes written from end to, to beginning, from middle to end yeah. to beginning. But, like, it's all over the place. It is kind of like a collage of ideas, isn't it? So, yeah, like, you know what? I think I even read a book that I think even mentioned that idea of writing just scenes that come to you. And I've completely forgotten about it until you mentioned it. That's actually really good. I should I should approach that on my next, on tomorrow, my next, my, my, my crazy day. I'm going to give that a go and just, just write. There's one particular scene that's just constantly in my head. I need to just get it out. Just so. write that one, yeah. And, and yeah. for the business book, we found that with the blogs. So I find blog writing mm. is a good way to develop the ideas for the book. That Well, that yeah, because of a lot of it is the, the template yeah. for it, right? And then it's yeah. just, to get, I guess, about get, sitting down, looking at it all and seeing how can you make this into some sort of narrative and, and tying these ideas together. It's a similar yeah. sort of thing, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. So what is, is it a fiction, non-fiction that you're working on the novel? The novel, yeah, it's yeah. fiction. Yeah, so it's based on, oh God, it's based on so many things. Um, it's based on the premise of a family that the the parents are from India, so kind of like my family, the parents are right. from India, they live here, and there's a story that's, um, it's like a mystery that's actually in India, and the, the character, the main character, goes there to find out about this mystery and find something out without wishing to give away any spoilers, mm. find out what this thing is. And then, and so it brings in kind of themes around immig immigration and identity and those kinds of things. And also what happens when you're from here. So the thing that gets, you know, the classic taught, the thing that gets shouted at you is go back to where you came from. And actually when you go back to a country that you've never lived in, mm. that you have no connection to, you don't belong there either. Yeah. Because yeah. 
yeah so it's kind of around those sorts of things yeah yeah so a lot about identity it's interesting you mentioned that actually because that is something that that um that i struggled with for a little bit in my life which you know again like if you look at me you probably wouldn't assume so but like um there, there was definitely and, and i can only imagine how much uh more difficult this would be for someone whose whose cultural identity is a little bit more obvious from the outside right but um but you know when i was younger like like i said my mother's french algerian my father's irish northern irish and you know growing up um i was uh, you know raised to um in Oxford, born and raised in Oxford, so raised to, you know, speak properly, this, that, and the other, you know, very much Queen's English in our household. There was no, you know, no slang or anything like that. But then I went to a public school where everyone spoke like they were from London. And you know what I mean? So it was like this really odd thing where I, I, I went to a point where I was really struggling to understand kind of like, what is my identity? Am I French? Am I uh, Irish? Am I English? Am I, you know, what am I? And um, yeah, there was a sort of a phase of, that sort of discovery phase, especially my teenage years of being quite confused by that. And then especially like that thing of, you know, speaking quite well spoken and then but hanging around with a lot of people and being friends with people that, you know, spoke a bit more like the locals, um, you know, and, you know, it was this, and there's a big town and gown thing of Oxford as well, which is a whole other, you know, cultural battle you can get in. Like, so I can only imagine like what that must be like for, 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 for someone with, um, you know immigrants who are both from the same country and where you get that kind of racist you know thing thrown at you obviously for me i didn't really get that um but um, i probably could have uh, if i met if i was more vocal about my background to be honest um but uh yeah it's it must be difficult because you, you you'd be searching but uh, you're british right like i mean that and we can we can torture ourselves quite a lot about our identities but at the end of the day we are what we decide we are to some extent it's yeah i mean really i was, I was born born in derbyshire so when someone says i mean when i was younger if someone used to said to me go back to where you came from i'd be like what to derbyshire i can if you want but <laughs> yeah, yeah, i'm really yeah. gonna help anybody how much going on there at the moment yeah so. <laughs> yeah you know, i was born here lived my whole life here have only ever been to india on holidays um brief holidays mostly some of them one maybe was a bit longer usually quite brief so don't you know don't have a life there have relatives there um yeah. but but actually a lot of the time um those things are still said and they you really? know yeah there was that debate um sort of a few months ago where somebody in the royal family does somebody where are you from all the time and i completely understood it because i was like mm. you know when someone's saying to you where are you from and yeah. they're aggressive about it you know and actually i've learned because when i was younger again i used to retaliate to those things mm in quite angry ways because you're right. angry right yeah. because you're like oh you know what do you yeah now i've actually learned a good way of responding to that when you get the where are you from and they're they're getting more and more aggressive like you know where are you really from i now usually say do you mean where does my skin color come from right and then then they look really uncomfortable and realize mm. what they're saying because what they're yeah. basically saying in that is where are you from because you're not from around here you clearly yeah. don't belong here so where are you from yeah. and it's it's an interesting one i think most um most people would say they go through phases of that's when you're a child you when you're a child you don't want to be different but you are different so for me for example i was the only you know i think i was the only brown girl in my class oh, really? so you are different and you've got mm -hmm. a name that's different and you you know you're all the things you don't want to be and you're sort of shrinking and then people draw attention to those things as well and it's really hard for children mm. and then as you come into teenage years where you're already awkward about things it's kind of awkward in a different way mm. and you sort of grow into it it's only when you get older that you sort of grow into sort of learn you know 
identifying with all of it much more I think well you also don't want to be impolite as well when you're a kid right so because you're taught to be polite and you know to to speak nicely to people and if they ask you a question to answer it and stuff so I guess that must be another thing that sort of plays um, on your mind too where you know if someone's being you think they're being kind of aggressive but you 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 know you're not going to respond in kind at that age because you just don't think that it would be appropriate you could get in trouble or yeah and I used to get told off for being um argumentative to teachers at school you know at the religious studies class they tried to teach us about Hinduism and I didn't agree with what they were saying Mm. they'd be like no she's being difficult or um they'd have you know actually a friend my business partner had it recently her daughter's school had an India day where they had to all dress as a country and she was like I'm really uncomfortable about this Mm. and I was like yeah when I was a kid I was that kid that used to hate things like that found it totally cringeworthy see now that's really really interesting isn't it because if that is that is an organization's attempt because my son has spanish day today so they all had to wear uh, red and yellow red and or yellow and it's really interesting you bring that up because if that is an organization's attempt at trying to display its its support of different nationalities diversity inclusion but is that not doing is that doing it the right way well, are they thinking about are they thinking about children from that heritage and how it is for them? And also, what are they putting on the children that are cultural appropriation? That is just their interpretation of that country mm. without really thinking about it. And so, you know, do people really know about that country? So, I said I sent my um, I sent Allegra a photo of my cousin's daughter and her friends at school in India, but they're all in jeans and t-shirts with like a mm. coke. I said, that's what teenagers look like in India. Yeah. So I, don't, I don't know what they're all dressing up as, but that's what it's like. And actually, that's because there's a lot of aspirations in India to replicate the American and Western lifestyles a lot of the time, right? Especially yeah, in, yeah, in, the, in the, if, the, 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 the upper classes in, in India. But if children lives. here are then all going to school, you know, draped in sorry, that that's not actually, yeah. rep- that's, yeah, it's not actually representative. And actually what she did, her daughter's very young, um, I think she's five. So actually what she did was she sent me a photo and she said, actually, she wants to dress like the people she knows of Indian heritage. So I always wear colourful dresses. So she wants to wear a colourful dress. What do you think of this? And I was like, yeah, go for it. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. That's what she did. Because you touched on that. Cultural appropriation, right? Where's the line between cultural appropriation and celebration? Because I don't know if you've seen this. There's some some really interesting TikToks that have gone viral a few times that I've seen of a guy who's wearing like really sort of over-the-top stereotypical Mexican um, stuff so like Mexican hat and you know like the the, the poncho and this that, and the other and he walks around a part of the states I, I think it might be uh, uh, San Francisco I don't know somewhere where there's there's a, there's a Latin community a Mexican community and a, a, a sort of more traditional white uh, Brit, uh, American community he asked the, the the white Americans what do you think of this and they all categorically say it's offensive it's cultural appropriation like it's abhorrent like you, it's disrespectful etc then he goes over to the Mexican side what do you think and they go it's great it's wonderful like so like where's the line here at us you know is there a line is it well it's again one it's again one of those things everyone's gonna have a different opinion on it in my opinion uh i think it was adidas had something like happy namaste day and there's no such thing and i've said this to a lot of people so when you go to most yoga um classes you cannot spot a brown or black face in the classes and it's loads of like people in lycra and you know and that isn't what yoga is about in india and yeah. people don't walk around saying namaste to each other all the time. And so that is people that are taking a culture and appropriating it to make money for themselves in a different way. But everyone has a different opinion on it. So to me, Adidas is happy namaste day when it's not a thing, is them trying to make money off a culture mm. and it, appropriating it. 
but other people may have thought that was great and have a different opinion about it. That's my. I think there's a. I think if you're going to do something like that, understand the culture. Yeah. And so for the kids at schools, you know, are they actually learning anything about the culture, or are they learning someone's appropriated perception of it? Mm. If that makes sense. Are they genuinely like looking at things that happen in that country? Are they genuinely learning about it? And I know you like five year olds are too young for this, but. If you're going to do things about India, so I used to get into trouble for this at school as well. If you're going to learn anything about Indian culture, you've got to accept that uh, there were atrocities during the British Empire. Yeah, you've got to face that and like accept it. And there's a great book that's just been published actually by a writer called Satlam Sangera. He's written an, a book for adults. It's called Empire Land. That's really good. And he's written a book for children called Stolen Histories mm. to actually start to educate because there's no education about that at all. Mm. yeah it's just not it's just not talked about yeah, yeah it's just yeah. not even talked about at all mm. and and well the problem is i suppose if we were to talk about uh the atrocities we committed in that um part of the world then we would probably have to mention it every time we brought up any country yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah the, the british empire has a lot to answer for um but yeah it's something that's that's you know i've, I've thought about a lot because of it you know you want to celebrate cultures but you don't want to be insensitive to you know to, to be seen as appropriating them but i don't know I, I haven't really made up my mind and i don't think i ever will there's a lot of there's a lot of um topics where i've kind of got to the point where i'm just like i don't need to have a position on on this like you know what i mean mm. but i think that, that there's too many times with with some quite complex issues where people expect you to have a very firm position or opinion on them and i've got the point where i don't think i need to like i think my, my position can be can be fluid it can change um you know, depending on my mood, perhaps, I don't know. But I just think because if something is far too nuanced to be able to just sit on one side of it, and this is one of those topics where I think, you know, it is really case by case. You know, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's, there's so much about these things where it's about intention, right? Like, yeah. you know, if you're in, you're doing something very blindly and, and you know, like you said, without really sort of, um, uh, it's, no, it's no longer paying homage or respect to something. It is just doing it for, you know, financial gain or to, to gain uh, some form of, you know, uh, social um, currency, you know, whatever it might be, then then it's very different. But, you know, I don't know. And, you know, and, and equally on the other side of it, I see people who are just like, I just want to wear this thing. I think it's beautiful. Like, you know, so it's, yeah, I, I'm kind well, of- I love that, that you're saying that, that you don't have to have an opinion on, on everything. So I think that is actually a lot of the problem that people feel like they do have to. The people that <laughs> yeah. cost me. So yeah. basically since we started- on, watching, and, and to be clear, on both sides of yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the argument, like, you know. So since we started Watch the Space, I did a tweet about it the other day. Literally, if I had a pound for every time someone has said to me, just to play devil's advocate about your business and what they want to do is say it's a load of nonsense, basically. Right. because they have to have an opinion about it yeah. even though actually a lot of the time when you delve into it they haven't really read anything about it or understand it or know, like know anything about it it's because they feel they have to have an opinion and actually society has become quite polarized about so many things yeah. that people yeah. feel they have to have an opinion on something well, and, and actually that, that's what our books actually is a lot about we, what we oh, want really? to do it right about is how to bring people together to have difficult conversations about yeah. things where they don't agree yeah, well, and, and they don't have to agree. You, you know, can't, you can't yeah. enter those discussions unless you are open to the idea of a having your mind changed and b with the the idea that you don't know everything. And that the problem is a lot of people are entering conversations all the time about difficult subjects, thinking that they are the experts on that particular topic because they've read one article or seen a tweet or whatever. And and or at least if they may don't think that they're experts, they come across as they are, and immediately that gets people's guards up.
because then the response to that is for the other person to reciprocate, um, to, to further dig in. And that's what you end up with. Whereas I think, you know, like going back to what you said about those people playing devil's advocate, I said I play devil's advocate in these, but I, I, I hope that I do it in a way which is more exploratory. And, and I, 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 try, I hope that comes across that it's because I'm, I'm genuinely curious as to what the, the, the response might be or, or, or whatever. Because of that, for me, is the only way a real conversation can happen. That's the only way that an exchange of information can occur, is if you're just like, I have no idea about this. I've got some ideas, but I don't, I'm not an expert. I, you know, let's talk about it. I have a feeling it might be this, but it might be that. Like, let's see what happens. But yeah, yeah right. absolutely. And, you, and, and feel like people, they have to have an opinion. Yeah. And those people are often quite aggressive. Like, they're, they're basically yeah. saying, just to play devil's advocate, I think your business is a waste of time. It's that oh, kind right. of well, thing. That's, yeah. that's not playing devil's advocate. No. <laughs> And, and also I'd add, um, you said A and B, and I said the C is going into these discussions about complex subjects, knowing that you might not, not end up agreeing on it. And that's right. fine. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's totally okay. fine. Yeah. yeah. It's it's yeah. absolutely okay to disagree with someone. And that's that's mm. that's a fundamental thing that I think we've lost. Like that's why I, I, I always say to people, I am a, a big advocate for arguing with people in the traditional meaning of the word argue, which is to disagree with someone, but that's it. Not not shout, not raise your voice, not swear, not hurl insults, but just simply to disagree and to have an exploratory conversation around the areas in which you disagree. That's what an argument is. It's discourse. It's it's you know, exactly. that, that's what it comes yeah. down to. And there's nothing wrong with that. We can we should be going back to the Greeks and really examining the, the, this idea of what rhetoric and argument really is. Yeah. And, and and really taking that on board, I think. But yeah, there's a lot of it's self perpetuating though, because the more of this happens the more that other people, especially younger people, see that, oh, this is how discourse must occur. I must have an opinion on this, otherwise I'll be ripped apart. So they're too afraid to enter any sort of rhetoric without having a very firm position on something because that's what they're seeing as the way it should be done. So it's 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 almost teaching, it's teaching bad habits around communication in my, in my yeah. view. Um, and it's just self-perpetuating. And diversity and inclusion is, is probably the biggest area, I think, in which this occurs the most. Um, and it's and it's awful because it's some of the most important topics, hugely, hugely nuanced. And so every conversation around the topic should be very hyper aware of the nuance that surrounds it. There's no there's, there's not really any right and wrong, in my opinion, within the, any topic, but especially within the you know, there's no solution that's going to make everyone happy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And we so, say that. So we say one of the early training courses we do when we're working with companies is challenging conversations. It's about exactly that, mm. helping people to be able to disagree with each other. And mm. we get asked things like, you know, what's the right term to use to describe these people that's going to mean they're all happy? And we're like, there isn't one. Yeah. You know, you've got to accept that there's differences of opinions, differences in how people like to be talked about their identity. There's differences, you know, there's always going to be differences and nuances. And actually, it's about your intention. Mm -hmm. And it's about understanding that somebody else is going to have a different opinion to you. And it's the thing where somebody may have may, may feel offended by something that you've said, that you may not have intended that way. Yeah. And it's like how you can have that conversation with people where you, it doesn't have to end and you never speak to each other again. Yeah. And, and look, let's face it, there are definitely some scenarios um, where I think there's been an overcorrection in, in these areas. Like if we look to HR um, uh, organizations, in especially uh, over in the States, I know this is a lot more prolific, where you, th th there really isn't any 
thing that you can do in a right way. Like that you, you can be penalized for almost any, you know, uh, opinion or, or thought or expression. To say, not everywhere, but it, but in some organizations I've been privy to or, or, or heard from. And that to me is an overcorrection. Like, I think one of the greatest things about living in Western society is that you have the ability to be it, to, to, to feel, um, to, to feel, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You just said it, uh, to feel offended. Like, I think that's actually one of the best things that can happen to you as an individual. If you don't go through life being offended by anything, there is something seriously wrong. You're not being challenged. Your thoughts and processes aren't being challenged. Obviously, if someone is intentionally insulting you and offending you, that's a very different thing. Yeah. But for an idea to offend you, like that, that's not necessarily always a bad thing. And I think what I am seeing a little bit more with, with HR, specifically in the UK, at least, is there is a bit more of a, a focus on intention like you said yeah. it's like the intention has to be brought up in the conversation it's not just about the end result whereas ordinarily and quite often what happens is you, you know that the case is decided on the outcome someone was offended therefore this person must be punished for that whereas actually it's looking at the nuance of the situation yes you were offended it wasn't meant like that it's time to move on or you know let's talk about how we can improve you know this sort of thing moving forward you know yeah uh, and I definitely think that approach works better where it's about intention yeah. and you focus on what somebody intended. And the fact is that with diversity and inclusion work, it is going to feel uncomfortable because that's mm. the point. It's not about just ticking boxes and doing a one hour training course and you're done. It is about genuinely looking at whether your company is inclusive or not. And actually, sometimes when we do that initial piece of work, people are quite surprised at some of the results mm. because they have a view that, oh, you know, we're great. Everything's great. It might be for you, but it doesn't mean it is for somebody else. Exactly. And it's about having being prepared to have a look at those things and understand a different perspective. Yeah, I mean, that, that's why for me, it always comes down to communication because of, you know, all, all of the biggest problems happen in the world because of lack of communication. One of my favorite movies of all time is a movie Arrival. Have you seen that film? Yeah. Amazing film. And it's essentially about that exact problem, about communication uh, breakdown, whether it's between individuals, between, you know, lovers and parents and uh, or, or countries um, and organizations. And it's a beautiful example of how communication can be both um, a, a horrible weapon and an incredible tool. Right. Yeah. Um, and I love that movie because it really breaks that down. And um, but anyway, that's that's definitely a huge. And also answer. that stat: seventy-five percent of communication is misinterpreted by the right. person who receives it. Yeah. So actually, that it really does sum up that that point that mm. we have to really think about how we communicate with people. Do Do you think that in some ways that's been exacerbated by the 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 increase in in uh, remote? And, and distributed workforces in the sense that now body language is being a little bit more removed it's, or at least it's not entirely gone because we can still see each other in these sort of you know um, situations but you know we, we're not getting the full picture right um, and a lot of it is written through you know now we've seen the increase in slack and teams communication being done a lot there for email and so on do you think that's some ways exacerbating it or maybe helping it in a way i think leaders now have to learn new ways of leading and um, mm. understanding their teams that isn't that you're going to see them in, in an office every day I think it's yeah. about that and you have to understand that there are like written communication slack messages I've seen things go really wrong slack messages you know emails things can be misinterpreted so mm -hmm. you have to think about how you're going to manage your team so that it's not all through written communication because that's not going to suit everybody and like think about what's going to work for people and then it's things like you know this there's, there's a, it's a whole new style of leading because if you're running um video meetings with your teams 
it's going to be very different to in person. So already in person meetings exclude some people who never mm. feel they're going to contribute. It's even worse in video meetings, like because you really have to have just one person speaking at a time. Mm. So I think for people that are running teams, it's just learning new ways of managing and yeah. really thinking about and making sure you do have some, you know, video or you know, phone call, old-fashioned phone call. We don't do that anymore. And um, sometimes things like that work better. Mm. It's just like thinking about different ways of communicating with people and learning what One works. On ones, taking the time to mm. spend time with people. I would say as well that, like, just to to add my own thoughts to that a little bit too. Like, um, I think that that there is a, a lot of responsibility on everyone equally. There's not just leaders, but I think as as an employee, as as a team member, I think it's on you to 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 also not bring um bring to uh any communication that you encounter with with a uh, any preconceived notion that or or or, or um essentially to, to 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 expect the best out of people not the worst right so so not to breed into anything in in you know to, it's too much and and if you are uncertain as to the intention of something maybe just ask for clarity i think all too often there's a lot of individuals and i'm guilty of this in the past too where when is something is written and you kind of misinterpret it you you kind of you take it away you don't address it and it sort of it, it haunts you a little bit and and you make it a bigger deal than it is whereas actually just the best thing is quite often just asking yeah. did you mean did you mean that or did you mean this and they're oh no no i'm really sorry and you're like oh okay it's done and that's that's a whole hr issue that can be thrown out that's something that hasn't grown into a, a, a you know a grudge between two employees like so there is something to be said for that but i think that is something that generally comes with experience but but again maybe an organization should be doing more not just to as leaders to upskill themselves but to upskill their team on how to effectively communicate with one another in these things and just to you know say guys we're all in this together don't expect the worst from each other like you know yeah. what I mean? you know chill out of it <laughs> and that example you yeah. just gave where sometimes if you just have a conversation with somebody mm. and say you know is that what you meant because actually i found that quite difficult and sometimes just within a very short conversation they'll say well no that absolutely isn't what i meant yeah and yeah. it you know you can just resolve but, it very but again quickly. it's different it's difficult again though because you know talking about diversity of personality a lot of people in, in you know are on the spectrum of wanting to be very confrontational adverse and would see that as being confrontation and don't want to get into to that and so you know you've i i've, I've found often that the ones that, that want to um, engage in any kind of confrontation are the ones that often are um, the ones overthinking and thinking the worst of, of certain interactions they may have had. And in fact, if you say, look, it's fine, if you just sit them sit this person down it's not going to result in a confrontation nine times out of ten and if it does don't worry like i'm here but but i can totally see how that even what our suggestion there was which is a very good one i think um still isn't the right solution for everyone because some people aren't going to be comfortable doing that you know yeah. um so you know we're back to back to that same old thing which is just no solution is for you know it's a one no size solution works for everyone and and people will feel uncomfortable yeah around these things yeah. that's what's going to happen yeah you know what it'll just be easier if all companies were run by ai ai i think that would be easier <laughs> wouldn't it we wouldn't have any of these no way people all together no it wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. no it wouldn't that's the whole subject in itself the ai is brilliant and it's fascinating yeah. and i'm really interested in this topic and i'm actually doing a lot of research around the biases that are in it as well right biases yeah that are built yeah. into the algorithms and the technology because we have well, to really be aware of that that's what's going to be increasingly become the biggest concern um with ai is that that you know in intentional or unintentional bias is going to play a huge part in the development of it and that that is where yeah a lot of concern is around yeah the sort of doomsday sort of discussion around ai 
So back to our very the beginning of our conversation where we said, mm -hmm. you know, do you really need different types of people in teams that might be programming, something like that? Yes, you do for these sorts of reasons. Rand mm -hmm. II. So there's um what's the example I use in the blog? There it's the passport photo algorithm that assesses whether the photo is correct or not. Right. Um, in the early versions of that, they didn't test it on enough uh, different skin colors. Oh, I think I heard so about it. It kept yeah. coming out with incorrect on darker skin tones. Yeah, yeah. A glaring example of why you need to test on different types of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what, what, what is interesting, though, and this may be applicable to you, is I think that, and you may have already thought about this, but we are going to see um, AI workers. Like it's, yeah. I mean, it's already happening to a degree, but but AI workers that are, you know, essentially um, working to a certain capacity, whether you want to call it full time or whatever, um, on specific projects delegated to them as tasks on an ongoing basis, yeah. and they will very likely be interacting with other human team members as well as other AI members of the team. Like this is a reality that's going to happen mm. probably very soon. Like where does this discussion even go about all of this when it comes to AI, like yeah. you know, having an AI team member? Like, can you ask I mean, I love, a piece I love of AI to be more, more inclusive? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I love it. I find it really, really interesting. And I think actually you can. I think it will be like um, it will need to be around making sure that algorithms and the data that's available does include different perspectives mm. and different ideas because actually you'd want it to say if it's a problem solving thing you'd want it to have all of the options because there's some there's some again some other research that shows that more inclusive teams with different perspectives make decisions faster and better with about half the number of meetings and it's because yeah. they debate more options quite quickly to come to the answer and so actually that model is what you would want an AI model to do is to d debate lots of different options, think about mm. them all before coming with the answer, not just go down one path. So I think it's a fascinating subject that I think we're only just sort of scratching the surface of at the moment mm. because there's been such a big explosion in AI and I, I'm a techie, like I love it. I yeah. find it really, really interesting. But I think the, the other side of the debate around making sure that there aren't biases built into it the, the doomsday scenario as well of you know like what happens when they take over and you know those kinds of things i find all of that interesting as well mm. and it's like it's debating all of those things i see a lot of conferences a lot of the tech conferences now they all have a, a panel discussion or a speaker oh, yeah. on ai now yeah, yeah. because it's just impacting every industry it's where all the money is going basically uh, yeah i spoke to a vc recently he said basically um, he doesn't agree with it but almost every deal that they they come across that says the words ai in it is the ones that are getting the money <laughs> like, yeah. it's just insane. But, so uh, true. Yeah. but yeah it's going to be an interesting topic uh, you know and uh you know god 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 knows what we'll do when uh if and when something like that becomes sentient that's going to be a very different uh you know how do you how do you write policy to make sure that we're being uh, yet treating a sentient uh artificial life uh with the respect and uh yeah. that they deserve. Like, that's a whole you know whole thing is and also there are already it's being incorporated in interesting ways well there are some big employers that you know have thousands of people applying for roles that are using ai for um candidate selection mm, not not yeah. the later stages but like for initial selection mm. they're using ai and that that i find interesting like me too what yeah. algorithms they're using who's being excluded like yeah. who's being filtered out by that 
Yeah, that's really interesting. I think what what I find interesting about that is it could potentially really help actually with with the area of diversity and inclusion if done correctly. Because of ultimately, like I guess this this actually comes down to a question I was going to ask you anyway. So it's kind of a nice segue, but it's down to this idea of um, you know you do you hire for diversity and inclusion in your team or do you hire for the skill set that you require in order to do the job? Um, and how do you find the balance in between? Which is a, probably the answer. Top what question we get asked by employers right. is that. So yeah. AI does have the opportunity of helping out with that initial stage of screening based on a set of criteria that you give it that is nothing to do with gender, race, age, anything like that. So completely blind to that fact. And it's just able to match purely on, is this person a good fit for this role? And that's it, not taking into account anything else. And then a human being can potentially come in at least for now, <laughs> come in and then check, you know, okay, is this a, is this a good fit for maybe some other, you know, more, uh, less tangible uh, reasons, you know, a good fit for the culture, are they going to bring something new, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But, but yeah, that, a lot of the advice that we, that we give um, employers is, that's what I was is ask some you, of yeah. that actually is to take names off um, applications, mm. is to set some scoring criteria that are, you know, not too many that are, are really assessing people's skills for the role, mm. um, and having like a different people assessing so you've got a diverse panel of people assessing not all the same types of people so that you can then don't talk in between about the candidates so that then you can then assess if you've got like you know people with uh you know two people with exactly the same score then you can have a discussion about it but right. essentially doing it in that way so actually i find that really interesting that mm. would it actually do some of those steps for you again my worry is what biases are built into that you know will it mm. filter out filter out people with i don't know trying to think of an example English isn't their first language and they're filtered out or something like that you know so mm. it could build in biases so you have to think about what's going yeah. in there so I think it just needs some thought and again with all of this thing I think people are, again are scared about a lot of this technology and scared mm. about AI and I think it's really about asking the right questions and making sure that these things are thought about so it, it could potentially be quite interesting in bringing different types of candidates to the fore because we find that companies that listen to that advice do that and do that kind of scoring find that they get a different result so mm. different candidates to what they thought they were going to get because actually we're all more drawn naturally to people more like ourselves if you're interviewing somebody and you see something even subconsciously about them that reminds you of yourself you're going to be more drawn to them yeah well, i feel like they're the right person for the role well, and, and the thing is, I don't think there's anything to feel guilty about no, not at all. because because of what a lot of people I think have forgotten as well, going back to the nuance of these sort of conversations is it's evolutionary, right? It, it's built in to us to 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 be um, to be drawn to those that are more similar to us because of, uh, you know, obviously throughout our evolution, it was a, an evolutionary advantage to be uh, skeptical or, or, or suspicious of those that, that were different. That were and outside. stay in your pack. That right. like you. Yeah. And that was that that's a legitimate evolutionary mm. thing that, that is that is stuck within us. And it's very it takes a lot to overcome that. It's not easy to overcome that. Um if you're if you're not given the tool set to do that, you know. And it's an about how you keep so people that's something people find very difficult. So we yeah. don't we don't in our um kind of initial training, we don't say you are biased towards people. Right. We talk very openly about the way that there's all of these messages flying around and that you're going to make decisions based on your own assumptions and think patterns that are formed in your mind. And yes, a lot of these things will be based on your own biases, but talk about it in that way. So yeah. that it's not that. And, and the, the fact that we all are like that as well, Yeah, that we, we all behave in that way, whether we 
like it or not almost but it's not something to point fingers at one particular person or particular groups about exactly. that is actually how everybody is yeah. and i think that's the that helps a lot so when we talk about things in that way it really helps a lot because, yeah, because you're, you're not, you're not blaming fingers. yeah exactly mm. otherwise automatically there's this kind of and there, there are definitely these these rhetorics around especially around um colonialism and emperorism about this need to have to feel guilt and i don't subscribe to that no. at all i think that's a very detrimental way of approaching the topic of racism and division because it's just encouraging the division and, and i don't either and actually a lot of the interesting reading around it so that book i was saying about where it's stolen histories and it's mm. about all that isn't about anybody needing to feel any guilt it's just about understanding that's all and it, understanding and recognition. Feel, yeah nobody needs to feel guilt for something that people did you know back way back when that you know had nothing to do with them personally right now yeah absolutely yeah. but it, but again it's a, it's a it's a nuanced topic because of you know there are those out there that were genuinely still very angry about the plight of their ancestors and even some not even that long ago there are people who are still alive today who went through that plight so it's understandably a very fresh wound but to demand a pound of flesh for that um isn't the way forward in my view. Yeah. It isn't, it isn't well, conducive. My, so my own family did. I recently actually videoed my mum and asked her loads of questions, but she was very young when partition happened. Right. She doesn't really remember a lot about it, but obviously her parents very much lived through it. And they were um, part of the Gandhi um, movement of, you know, wanted the British out. Right. They were very much part of that. And I was asking her questions about it. And it's interesting because for us growing up here as children, they never really talked to us about any of that. I think they didn't want to say... Mm too much about it to us and they also didn't tell us that much about the experiences they had when they first came to England because it was awful mm. it was you know it, it was absolutely terrible they, they never really did I think it was kind of like a protection thing of not telling us too much about it so it's yeah. quite interesting now to kind of go back and try and find out more about it from them so mm. my my cousin actually she's got a book being published this summer actually where she um she does some of that delves into the fact the family history a bit more and looks at the names and at the name that was actually changed by the British because they couldn't pronounce it so they changed all their surnames oh, really? oh, things wow. like things like that that are quite mm. interesting because a lot of that history is actually um just never talked about mm. so it's not talked about by them then it's not talked about in our education so yeah. you know we've grown up with most people not understanding anything about partition mm. and what happened and yeah. like yeah, the millions that died for it and, and, and you, know, you, know, you, know what's, you know what's really ironic as well is i remember at school finding history incredibly boring right and one of the main reasons i think was because it, it was just an idealized version of what occurred like you know you're, you're learning about kings and queens and knights and you know all the, and various battles um it's mostly medieval and or egyptian but you know that that isn't something that you can relate to as a kid it's, it feels mm. like a very yeah there were some cool elements you know yeah people fighting with swords and you know egyptian pharaohs and whatever cool but it's it's um i think that the history would be, connect as a topic so much more with younger adults especially if it's relevant to their current surroundings yeah. if you can literally look around and go well my god i can actually see that thing that we talked about i can i can understand it i can see it happening and and for understanding that history is ugly like that that is unfortunately the large part of what history is but it's it's still happening now and that was something that i couldn't really get about history when i was a kid that it was like oh it's this thing that happened a long time ago no no no. history is right now <laughs> right now it's still happening and and if you can make that connection as a kid suddenly it, it becomes a lot more almost like about sociology and a lot more sort of yeah. relevant and, and you can make that connection it's a shame that we don't 
delve into that. I'd so. love to see that happen as well. So I don't know if you know David Olshuga, the historian. He um, he does a lot of writing and talking about this as well. And he did a, a talk as part of Brighton Festival where he talked a lot about the history of Brighton, which actually is full mm. of um, empire. If you look at the designs of the buildings and things yeah. like that. And he talked about that. And actually, the, the audience could ask questions. And uh, one of the questions asked was, you know, do you think we'll see a change in education through the work you're doing and people actually learning? Because, you know, black British history is British history. Yeah. Windrush is part of British history. It's not a separate thing. It's part of the fabric of the country. Mm. And he said a really interesting thing, which kind of brings our conversation a bit circular, actually. He said, yes, historians like me will uncover stories about the past you know we'll we'll tell you facts that we learn about and that it'll be in history books but actually that is not how people learn about things what they learn about is through stories and what yes. people will remember is a book that they read or a film that they watched about yep. these things that is what stays with people and what they remember and he talked about roots and he said you know if you look at roots as a book it's probably not the most fabulously literary book but actually it taught a whole generation about slavery mm. that they didn't know about and it just yeah. taught them what they were not being taught at school. Yeah, and absolutely. it's so true. No, yeah. the, um, there was a, a book I read by Terry Pratchett. Um, oh God, what was it called? I think it was just called The History of Discworld. I don't know if you've read much of Terry Pratchett. No. So I think it's called The History of Discworld. I think there's three parts to it. He actually wrote them with a mathematician and a physicist. And essentially, what it does is it uses the the idea of Discworld um, to uh, examine the evolution of of man and. Uh, human beings i should say to be more politically correct um the the, the evolution of, of of well the evolution of animals on our planet all the way through history to modern day and it's a very clever way of doing it with his crazy sense of humor and everything else and there's one thing that said very very early on which is that homo sapiens were misnamed we should have been called pan naran which is which translates to storytelling ape because everything about human beings revolves around our ability to tell stories and the way we the way we learn the way we share information going all the way back to you know the stone age when we would share information around a campfire that was our way of passing on to the next generations the the, the important lessons to be learned yeah. skills to be learned etc and it's yeah it's it's it, we all know the narrative just like in sales the best way i was just thinking about sales the right? best yeah. way to sell is to tell a story all the, the time reason why working I tell... with founders who were trying to pitch pitched for investment tell a story, tell a story. you're doing yeah. a presentation in front of a bunch of people tell a story you need to connect to a, a protagonist and an antagonist and, and that's how we work as human beings you know yeah that's why I often tell that iPhone story because people mm. connect with it because everyone's got a phone. Right. And so it's something that people connect with and it's not an abstract thing. It's like a, an, an everyday thing. And that's why I also talk about the pandemic story because everyone lived through it mm. because it helps people to connect with what you're talking about. And there's, you know, there's probably other examples I could come up with that are more about like a person and like telling the story about what happened to a particular person. Speaking of stories, did you have you seen or have you heard about the uh, Netflix series Cleopatra? No, I haven't. Okay, I would look into my behind on my Netflix. <laughs> okay, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of debate around uh, and controversy around this this series um, because of Cleopatra was depicted in the series as being black um, and 
historians, Egyptologists are pretty clear on the fact that she was not black, right? Um, and that, but that's how she's being depicted. And the claim in this docu series is that she was black, and the evidence given for that is little to none, right? Um, it's very, it's very anecdotal evidence, basically. Um, it was, the, I think, it was produced, or yeah, I think it was produced by Jada Plinkett Smith. Um, and the, the whole, they're even being sued by uh, by Egypt. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So Netflix is being sued by Egypt over it. So yeah, well, we won't go delve into it too much because you haven't, you're not aware. No, of I'll it. look it I, up. I was just, I was just curious yeah. on your take on that because it that is a really interesting topic to me of this like, what people are referring to as world culture, um, you know, maybe going a bit too far and and you know talk about cultural appropriation happening. It, it, there's a there's a whole load of things going on in that that are really hard to. To, to pick apart and understand what's going on but it's, yeah uh, I guess I'd want to read the history to understand if there's any fact around that if there's any fact-based argument there isn't no then I wonder why they've done that then yeah. yeah I think that the reason why from what I understand is because of um you know in more recent years it's become evident that the, uh, that the vast majority of Egyptians if not all native Egyptians in that era were dark-skinned were yeah black, right and so there's this kind of this miscalculation being made of like oh well then then so was so was Cleopatra and but she's been depicted as white in movies in old movies because she's one of the most famous um you know uh, empresses um that's been depicted more often in media um, over the years you know by by old-timey black and white movies all the way to modern day as a white princess but the facts are that you know there are um there are depictions of her throughout history that are very clear there's uh, a clear understanding of her lineage not being originally from egypt i think she was from mesopotamia originally or right. something like that so there's all the you know it's very clear that she has roots in, in, in mm. as a white uh, a, a white european essentially um and was and came over and there's a lot of other you know, very big um, mistakes being made about um, her as a person, how she, as a ruler, and that, you know, claims that she ruled with dignity and, uh, you know, all this kind of thing. And and in fact, history shows that she was quite brutal and, like, you know, all this kind of stuff. But because it's a, it's a powerful, you know, woman and that's kind of the, so it's kind of, you know, trying to take something into, in, and create an idol out of it, which um, it just goes against all. Oh, I'll have to watch that. I haven't heard about that. I wonder, yeah, yeah interesting they're being sued because I guess for them, what it has done is made people watch it. Well, I'll be one of them. I'll look it up and watch it. Right. But I think more fascinating than the actual documentary, I haven't even watched the, the whole documentary. I've watched bits because um, it just looks terrible. Um, right. But I've watched, I've, watched, uh, I've watched documentaries about the controversy, <laughs> which uh, especially there's a couple on YouTube done by Egyptologists themselves who are breaking down the series and giving their commentary on it. And it's, it's quite fascinating because they give, the actual, they give the actual history as they're watching it and they're just pulling their hair out like, because of the, and that's the problem with, um, I suppose, with, uh, to my point, so, sorry, a bit of a tangent there, but to go back to what we were saying about learning through through narrative, while it's really powerful, it is also very dangerous because it um, obviously a lot of creative license can be taken in narrative um, uh, based on, you know, uh, conveyance of, of information. And because of that, uh, people's motives can be entered into it. Um, and that, that can be dangerous, you know. And, and we need and, to be factual as well and understand yeah. the facts and, and understand the, that a lot the, of history... The storytelling is to be entertaining as well. Yeah, so it about, is. But it needs you know. to be based on, I, I guess it needs to be based on some fact. And the interesting thing there about history is that we don't know a lot of history. We only know what somebody recorded and has told. And so a lot of history, actually, we don't know the real story. 
behind so we it. have to fill in the gaps sometimes mm. to, to keep a narrative moving forward and like a really good example of that is uh oh god what are those movies called um oh that's really annoying i'm gonna blank um there's movies about two paranormal um investigators uh a couple very famous couple that would go around uh oh christ it's gonna annoy me there's a series of horror movies basically based on uh, these two i can't think which one you mean Ah, no, it'll come yeah. back. It'll come back to me later, probably at like two o'clock this morning. <laughs> but but um, you know, it's it's a good example of uh, of you know of a story, obviously taking a, a a very very loose idea and completely exaggerating it. Like uh, they did they did one. Um, obviously, it's a horror story. That you know, there aren't real. At least I don't believe that there are real ghosts and and ghouls and demons and stuff. But they obviously show them in the movie, and they're based very loosely on these two two individuals. But in reality, it is fairly common knowledge that these two individuals were scam artists, and they you know they would go around and and you know prey on very vulnerable people at very vulnerable times in their lives, and had very little involvement in some of the stories that these movies were made out to be. But they actually forced themselves in one in particular was the uh was the the, the the case of the the family that was that were claiming to be haunted in 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 the uk i can't remember where very famously a picture of this girl jumping uh, off the bed and all this kind of thing they apparently were there for like half a day and and forced themselves in to try and be involved in this situation and they were told to piss off but they made a whole film of them being involved like you know what i mean so it's yeah. like you know based on a true story right yeah based on yeah <laughs> yeah take that with a pinch of salt but uh but I think if you're going to claim, and this is where I think people really had a problem with this series, is if you are claiming to be a documentary, that's very different. That's different, yeah. Right. People that's are expecting different. a certain level of journalism and historical accuracy to it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a different thing. Yeah. I wanted to come back to something really briefly um, before we run out of time, because I thought of it earlier and I forgot to mention it. On the subject of identity, you kind of talked about, you know, your the the, the struggles your parents went through when they came to the UK. And, and I talked about how growing up, you know, at, 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 at similar things, not not comparable, but but similar. And um, it's funny because um, my dad remember recalls uh, a time where he moved to the to England and they, they lived in London originally. He would, uh, you know, go looking for a place to stay and on uh on the the doors used to say uh no blacks no irish no dogs yeah um and my mum would say when they first moved into their house in oxford they would get all kinds of um you know very dirty looks and you know no one would speak to them and it was only funnily enough the indian uh household further down the road that would, that would hang out with them initially and and she's seen the change over time and how that and how that's happened but um talking about identity specifically i watched um I watched a, uh, a bit of a mini series on YouTube about Jim Carrey, of all people. And he says some really interesting things about our, the way that we um, perceive ourselves about identity and that we spend our whole lives kind of taking things and trying to, to, to be clear about what our identity is. Okay, so I'm, I'm half French, half Irish, I'm this, I'm, you know, I'm that, I'm that. And we kind of build up this picture. But in his view, he's had a big, a big sort of realisation, as he calls it, like a spiritual moment of realising that he doesn't really exist, that we are all just one soul, that we are all just one uh, mass of energy and that our own identity is a very selfish endeavour to be concerned about too much. Um, I, I don't know why I brought that up, but I just thought it was really interesting. That is, that is interesting because actually yeah. we do spend a lot of our time kind of that journey I talked about, you know, as a child where you don't want to be different and mm. then gradually, or certainly for me, then 
discover that actually it's okay to, it's actually better I think it's more interesting to be different and kind of explore all of that and actually yeah. a lot a lot of that is very kind of like about yourself isn't it and actually is it that important it's quite an interesting concept mm. yeah very I don't, interesting I don't concept. Think it resonate with like 13 year old you or 13 year old no me, but like as an adult and you know actually spending so much time that we do on trying to really sort of make our mark on the world and, and want others to take us seriously or, or, or whatever it might be and, and ego becoming more of a mm. thing that we focus on that's quite a refreshing take to look at actually yeah we are kind of all just in the same boat we're all just one I, I don't know I'm not I haven't it's interesting fully because that um if you think about that relating that to companies a lot of the time where you see certainly in, in my corporate life where you see issues in companies is is around ego it's around a particular person needing to yes. stamp their ego on something yeah. and they're forgetting about the actual the mission of what you're trying to do and you know the ideal is that you're all uh, working towards a purpose that is the the problem that you're solving or the you know thing you're making better for people and it's not about anyone's ego it's about all of you working together towards that but actually does ego always get in the way so the I, the concept i talked about where you don't have hierarchies it's a style of leadership called teal organization called teal where you don't have hierarchies and people work in the way that suits them best to deliver on the overall goal and as long as everybody knows what that overall goal is and the overall mission it should work that everybody works towards that in their own style mm -hmm. the the challenge i usually get on that when i talk to people about it is oh but don't you always have somebody wanting to take control and make their mark on it and have authority and i think actually that that is often what stops people working in that way mm, is that they yeah. do want that they they have this need for needing to make their mark and like stamp their identity on things but but, but then again like that if you want to be truly inclusive i mean you have to cater for for personalities that maybe are natural leaders like i can say for myself yeah. i i very much fit that mold not maybe for ego or whatever i don't know but i you know there are some people i think who are just natural naturally inclined to want to lead to move things forward for me personally i would describe it i don't know if someone else would but i would describe it as i want to see the best um of people come out and i want and so i want yeah. to to lead to, to let that happen like very much like that situation you said of letting everyone speak and then but i would be that person at the end to stand up and go right that was a great idea that was a great idea let's do that let's do that and get it organized and move forward so like you know you yeah don't and i do to, think you, you have to you have to cater for that as well because yeah. actually sometimes you need that as well to move something yeah. forward yeah. and um because yeah, there's do, nothing worse than a group of people all sitting around having ideas but not making any decisions <laughs> and we see that loads with um companies and their diversity and inclusion groups often we get involved yeah. they've come to us and they said look we've had this group running for a year and actually they've they've talked a lot but nothing's actually <laughs> happened yeah and like you have to actually have some people that want to m take things forward yeah. otherwise you're just all listening to each other and not actually moving things forward so it's an interesting discussion but it's not driving any change yeah. and i do think as well that thing about um driving change it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody in a leadership role that wants to do that so we often say to companies we work with actually some of your best people to take this forward might not be your traditional leaders that are in right. you know, running big teams it could actually be other people that feel really passionately about this that mm. actually are the ones that will take this forward and and often people that do that then show their leadership skills and yeah. actually get then get promoted because another thing we do is we work with companies on um talent programs where essentially instead of always thinking you hire someone new in to create the te leadership team you want what about all the people that you've got already working mm. for you who actually always get overlooked or like so they go yeah. somewhere else because they're not getting 
getting opportunities and that, that's a really big leaders. yeah that's a really big problem in startups actually and I've, mm. I've experienced that firsthand is when you're working with startups especially when they secure that that series a round yeah or the series b round there the pressure from above is right now you've got the money go out and hire the ex google go and hire the ex yes. amazon and it's like wait a minute we've been spending five years six years building up these people telling them that there's going to be lots of opportunities if you join in an organization at ground level that you're going to be the first to promote and now you're telling us we need to bring in all of these top this top tier talent and what does it do it completely ostracizes that group of people that were and there from the beginning and they all leave and they all get fed up they're like you promised us that you would help train us and that you would help bring us into this role and for a lot of people they see it as entry level into some their first leadership roles yeah. with, you know and they're like well okay I know I may be a year away from my skill my skill set but I could learn but the, the business attitude is well yeah but we just need someone now to be able to do it we can't afford to train you for a year and so that, for me that's a failing in planning yeah you know and that, so that's, that's something that we work on a lot now with um, especially with our tech businesses because yeah you need to think about that earlier on and develop yeah. people because actually they will all leave and we see it all the time there's been companies that I've worked in there's companies I've seen where that's what happens people that a new hire comes in and into a role that they that person wanted to progress to yeah. and they just think well you know what okay I'm gonna, uh, there's no now no opportunity well, yeah the message I'm is clear go. the message yeah. is clear as to what's go. happening now yeah and 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 what and what I've seen happen there I'm sure you have too is usually that company fails very quickly after that because if they suddenly have a load of people at the top who are very highly experienced in their field, fine, but they haven't been there from the beginning. They haven't worked with those clients from the beginning. They haven't got those relationships. They don't understand the nuance. They they haven't, you know, bled and sweat over that company. Um, and so and the, the company sort of it fails because actually they were doing a lot of work that was very invisible. And, yeah. and suddenly that's gone, you know. And then um, they try and get them back and whether it's too late. And it's too late, yeah. It's yeah. a very it's a very interesting problem. And uh, yeah, I've seen it time and time again. And and actually something that I do that that's an area where I think maybe what we do overlaps somewhat, because that is something that I, I work a lot with when it comes to culture and structuring the way that you're you're plotting out the career progression of individuals from a very early point. You've got to do that from the beginning. You've got to be mm -hmm. very clear on that and put time and energy into that because it's so, so dangerous otherwise. It's so dangerous. Which is why you know? I love the companies that want to work to it with us before they're at that stage where they've yeah. got the funding and they're going to hire loads of people they want to get ready before that and make sure they're setting the foundations right and i think that's yeah. brilliant i think that's really smart because then they're yeah. ready for the growth exactly yeah. and that's exactly the same with me i, lo I love working with it before the fact because then mm. you're in the only downside that sometimes i find and maybe you encounter this too is that you're 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 bringing up uh plans for work or suggesting frameworks for things that haven't happened yet and for those that have never been through them they're like well why do we need to do it if it's not happened like you know so and yeah. you're like, trust me it will and you know the, the work that you do i've always find that the predictive work that you do can always sometimes seem like busy work right so it can sometimes seem like you're just doing it because you what you want to seem like just you're justifying your fee when in fact you know if nothing happens as a result that's the point like yeah you know, you know like, but often companies want to see the thing go wrong so they understand your value it's like no 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 no. you don't want to see it go wrong that's the value like you you should yeah. never know that we even set this up it should be invisible like that is the point but yeah, it's a hard thing to, um, to explain to people sometimes sometimes you know? we work with companies who come to us because something's gone badly wrong right and that's where we got involved and actually that we we don't want to get to that point so that yeah. anybody's having bad experiences you know we want to work with people before that so that they as you say they never even know that 
that could have been a problem because you've yeah. already set all the foundations in place. And that's really difficult yeah. as as a consultant in any in any sort of with any specific focus is an effective consultant doesn't look like they're an effective consultant. And so sometimes you can be seen as a as a as a, a wasted expenditure, you know, because it's like, well, what are we paying you for? I can't see any any impact yeah. because if a problem fix is a tangible result, but a, a problem that's been prevented isn't, you know, and yeah. that's a really difficult thing to quantify sometimes to to, to people, you know. Yeah, which is why we've had this idea for the technology and the kind of yeah. showing people levels because it's like then they've got something that they can see. Exactly. Like yeah. Them. Yeah. yeah. And, and and it's an ongoing thing. Like you said, it's not like a one and done. Yeah. You know, and it, it has to be something you have to continue to work on. Yeah. But it's uh, it's a lot, isn't it? For I mean, you know, I, I, I'm I'm a CEO. You're you're a CEO. Like um, we know what it's like. You have a lot to do. Um, it's not easy, but uh, yeah, that's why bringing in an expert like you on this topic or experts like you on this topic is important, I think, to to try yeah. and uh, to, to balance those plates. And but then, look, and I was going to say just one more quick thing, which is then, as you as a business founder like yourself, you then also have to remember to apply everything into your own business. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the well, other thing for, to fortunately for me, I, I I am the only full time employee. So um, diversity and inclusion, I have got it nailed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> diversity of thought, I can tell you, I argue with myself constantly. Um, I am my worst critic. I am the you know. So so yeah, I've got it. I've got it down to a fine art at this point. I think if I had one of those dashboards, I'd be you know plain sailing. Um, yeah, maybe that's a, a personality disorder issue. I don't know, but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, um, well, look, we're, we're, we're approaching the end uh, uh, of the episode. So I, what I am trying to, I'm trying to give this show a bit of structure. <laughs> I'm fa failing miserably. But um, what I'm trying to do at the end of these things is to ask um, uh, my guests if they have any specific tips on their area of expertise. So if you if you um, are speaking to the founder audience out there right now, which I know is majority founders, um, what would you say are some really um, good steps that they could be making to to become more inclusive and diverse in their teams um, maybe before getting in touch with you or aside from getting in touch with you which would be the obvious choice you should obviously get in touch with you but maybe things that they can do on their own um, to start that journey yes yeah, so i think the first thing is is to really understand where you are right now before trying to leap into doing different things understand where you are right now we have something to help with that on our website watch this uk there is a free uh, quiz that you can do that just gives you a really quick version of the work that we do with companies just yeah. to give you an idea of where you are so that you understand where your gaps are so i'd say make sure you understand where your gaps are um think from that think about what things you can do very simply and quickly to get you started because you you know people are busy um, they've got lots of things going on. Just think about the simple steps you can take to start with to really make a difference and fill in some of those gaps. And um, as founders, your aspirations are usually to grow the company and to grow it and have new ideas, innovation, and just think about it in that way that what you're doing is setting up your company for those things so that you have diverse teams full of new ideas and different perspectives. And how are you going to take steps to do that right from day one so with with every hire think about what you can what difference you can bring to the team rather than someone that's going to fit in with what you already think so mm. people that will challenge you yeah good advice very good advice and would you say it's it's there's ever a situation where it might be too early to think about this sort of thing uh, or is there a, is there a good time in the in the life cycle of a, of a business to start thinking about these uh, 
these implementing these frameworks or these foundations? Yeah, I would say, so I went to an event recently, which was all founders, and the advice that most of the founders gave is, make sure you hire people who are better than you. And so actually, I think hiring somebody who thinks differently to you from day one will bring a lot of that, will bring a mm. lot of perspectives. And so everybody will know like what their areas are that they need to work on, that they that it's not their natural area of expertise. So always bring in somebody that has that area as their strength. I would yeah. say right, right from the beginning. I think that's what helps grow a really great diverse business full of different ideas. Yeah, good advice. I, I do have another quick question, um, actually unrelated to this segment. I should have asked it earlier, but I really do want an answer to this. Going back to very quickly about you were saying about when you're hiring, um, you, you practice what you preached and put out this thing. But you mentioned you did it on LinkedIn. Going back to what I mentioned earlier about this, this being able to find people from different backgrounds, from different socioeconomic backgrounds. One thing I've struggled with, and I know a lot of people do, is how do you advertise jobs to get to different audiences? Because right now we're very limited with the resources we have. It's Indeed, it's it's uh, you yeah. know CV Library, it's mostly LinkedIn. Not everyone's on there, especially those from maybe poorer backgrounds who could really do with the opportunity. Uh, do you know of any resources? That is a great to... question, really good question. So we use LinkedIn and thought we would need to go wider. And actually we had so many applications we didn't at that point, but there are other ways that you can do that. So there are um, there is a job board platform that's for hiring refugees that are looking for roles, for example. Okay. There are community groups that you can go to. I would say if you, depending on what you want, go to people um, that you might know or ask for recommendations of somebody who is quite different and ask what networks they're in and if they can share the role. I think that's the way to do it, to get bring quite different people into your recruitment. Mm. So it's not just the responsibility of because that's often the problem as well, isn't it? Is it's if it's a recruitment manager or something like that, they have a lot of roles and either there's a lot of work they need to do and, and managing lots of different platforms is difficult. If they can just post to one and get the results, yeah. they're happy. So you're saying maybe try and include actually the wider team to to to, to help promote these roles in their own audiences. Ask people, yeah. Community. Because your own network will be your own network, which will be not completely, it may not be, but it may be lots of people that have similar ideas and thoughts to you. And actually, if you ask someone else to share the role or mm. ask people they know to share it, then you'll get a different result. Yeah, because I just, you know, I always think of this scenario. I, I just think of, you know, some uh, 18, 19 year old kid stuck in, you know, a, uh, a, a you know, an impoverished situation who who can't travel, you know, maybe on the in the suburbs of London or something like that. I've just got a very vivid picture in my mind. They can't afford to get the, the, the tube to an interview. They can't afford to buy the nice shirt or suit, but they are highly skilled, highly passionate. Yeah. Like, and that person, they have no idea about LinkedIn. Like maybe yeah. they don't even have internet at their home. Do you know what I mean? Like you just don't know. Like how do we get in front of those people who really um, deserve to see those opportunities? Not saying they necessarily deserve the job because if that's a whole different point. The point is just they deserve the opportunity to apply. They deserve to to, to actually uh, you know have these as many opportunities as possible to apply to them. And that's the thing that bugs me is we haven't quite, I don't think, figured out no. getting in front of, of, of as many people in, in as diverse range of scenarios as we'd hoped. And there are know. people doing great work around that. So uh, look around. There are lots of community groups and platforms that are working on that. Oh, how you really reach communities, because there's a lot of things you said just there, actually. So the other way employers can help is not insisting on um, a, a university degree. 
not mm. insisting that everybody comes into their office wherever it is for an interview like yeah. making it as accessible as you can thinking about the interview tour sometimes people think like they need to do something really smart and make people do this thing that actually doesn't help them showcase their skills mm. and and absolutely hiring for for potential works really well so not insisting people have so many years experience in a particular role to be able to be considered mm. like think about how you can think differently about who you actually hire and that will get a different result but i think there's something to be said for entry-level roles too where, wherever possible like that not everything needs to be a hit the ground running scenario that if actually if you can calculate the roi over a longer period of time but sometimes an entry-level role or a couple of entry-level roles can be make more sense for a longer yeah. term sort of retention and a building of a company culture and more diverse, inclusive, all the rest of it. So yeah, you may need to spend a bit more time with that person earlier on, yeah. but but it's a very solid, you're, you're, you're building a very solid foundation. Yeah, team. and it's a subject I'm quite passionate about actually, uh, paid internships as well. So let people mm, yeah. learn on the role as well and not expect people to just come in and know everything straight away. Yeah. yeah yeah well look we could keep talking about this, I know. this one for ages, so but I, I i i won't keep you any longer it's been so lovely speaking with you um, and i really hope we get to do it again uh, maybe even in person at some point because you are only down the road so that'd be um, great yeah are you coming to digifest in eastbourne by any oh, chance oh no When's oh that? look that up i'll, I'll, I'll send you over the information it's um it's, it's soon i can't remember when exactly but yeah it's our first digital festival uh celebrating um, all things digital and founders and entrepreneurial and stuff. So but anyway, yeah, I'll send cool. you some send, send me a link. I'd love to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Perhaps great. we'll see you there. But but yes, lovely, lovely meeting you. Well, we've met before, but lovely speaking to you. And uh, we were right. We did have a lot to talk about. <laughs> and more. We could have gone on for ages. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so lovely having you on. And uh, yeah, I really look forward to seeing what you guys do. I'll, of course, be sharing your links and everything within the description of, yeah. uh, of this episode so people can check you out. And I encourage them to do so. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. It was lovely to chat. My pleasure. Have a wonderful day and the rest of the week. And uh, yeah, take care. Take care. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching and or listening. Please like, subscribe and join the conversation in the comments below.